power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Technica podcast feed. Woo, the man of tomorrow is here, the Golden Stallion, the rated R radio star, Savzu is some call, Dr. Brian Sovereign, ready to get into, honestly, lately, one of my favorite things to do. Now, I love getting behind a microphone, regardless of when. Uh, and in fact, I'm, I'm getting on the mic, I'm getting behind the microphone right now. Uh, and my voice, maybe you can tell, maybe you can't. I'm not at a hundred percent. Uh, got a pretty nasty, nasty bit of the, I guess the flu. I don't know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, I hadn't been sleeping much lately. And then, you know, even when you're a mutant like me, that'll, uh, that'll take out your immune system pretty well. Uh, but anyway, so I, this is something, one of my favorite things to do, what, what I'm behind the mic for right now. Uh, is I'm doing a custom intro here, of course, for, like I said, one of my favorite things to do is late. And that is record with second penguin doing, uh, what we have uh, titled a, a sub series within the Agora podcast called into the void. And this is technically our fifth one, uh, at least by, by, uh, nomenclature by number. Um, even though, you know, I've been on the Agora podcast now so many times, um, and in fact, as you'll hear us talk about every time, I still hold the title of being on the show the most. And uh, I, I certainly intend to, to keep that going. And we have plans, as you'll hear throughout this two hour plus ride. And it is a ride. OK, not even going to say it's like super well organized because, you know, if you listen to these you know previous Into the Voids, especially in the Sovereign Technica podcast feed, um, I have talked about how. We don't really plan this shit out. You know, like people just come to the table with, uh, with, with subjects. Sometimes sec will tell me ahead of time what we're going to talk about. Other times I don't know. And it's all completely off the cuff. Now, as I've said many times, I like that because it shows the mentality of the hosts, the intellectual prowess, shall we say of the hosts, because they can take on all comers. Not that I have a problem with doing scripted episodes, not that I have a problem with, you know, like people needing to think things through and Hey, we probably all write better than we talk, but you know, it's always a pleasure to work with people. And that's one of the things I enjoy the most about this. It's always a pleasure to work with people who can work and talk, you know, work behind the mic and talk like, like they're good. They're, they're just in talk about anything is my point. Uh, and that that's honestly a rare package today. So something I want to bring up with this, with this episode in our little custom intro here for the Sovereign Technica newsfeed. Now, if you're a Sovereign Tech patron, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, if you're a Sovereign Technica patron, you will have already had access to hearing this episode. You will have heard this intro and this episode uh, quite a few days, if not week or so in advance of you know, the live feed, which this will eventually be in. Not only that, you've had the time to react. You've heard Q and a responses to much of what was already heard or, you know, to what was already said in the episode. 
Um, and you're in the discord channel where a lot of that discussion was happening. And I'm actually going to read some from the discord channel in this, uh, exclusive intro for into the void number five, because I got a lot of, well, not a lot, a couple emails. We'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when anybody takes the time, when you're a podcaster and somebody takes the time to like really give you an in-depth email, um, that's a lot in the grand scheme of things. Right. But I got a couple of emails that were fairly lengthy. I'm not going to read them all in their entirety here. Some of the stuff has personal info. It's a way that we communicate. Of course, the emails Q22 at nwo.red, which is a proton mail address, meaning that when I communicate with these people, they're also using proton mail and it is encrypted end to end. So there's a lot of times where I want to be, you know, cautious with the information that they are sending me. Of course, they know if they're sending me a question that it can be read on the air, but I want to be, I want to be respectful around this sort of thing. So, but the feedback that I'd gotten was to the effect, and again, I'm, I'm really paraphrasing here. Okay. Um, and I did cover this on a recent Wednesday Q and a on Patreon, but the emails that I'd gotten were basically saying like stallion, you're talking about, you know, cause we get into the, you know, I'm into the void. We get into the weird, the strange, we talk about spirituality a lot lately. Um, and we'll get into like why, in fact, in this episode, we get into why exactly is spirituality becoming such a thing amongst people who or lately amongst people who, uh, you know, perhaps before did not express such concepts of, you know, either religion or spirituality or whatever. And we'll kind of hint at that. I think there's a bigger conversation to have around what's going on with that, but that leads into another subject. Um, that is a very important one that we will get into. And I'll, I'll talk about that in the, in the intro as well, but it's a point I want to make. I want to address the critics, sovereigns critics. Okay. I want to address them here. The criticism that gets made and it's levied against not only sovereign technica, not only Patreon content, but also the sovereign technica newsletter. Of course, go to sovereign.substack.com. If you want to get your hookup on that. In fact, I'm going to write up about this very subject that I'm talking about for the next issue of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. You probably already got a preview for that if you are subscribed. The criticism that I got is that I'm spending so much time talking about concepts, say concepts that fall under occult or mysticism or spirituality or even religion, and saying how they're wrong but I'm not so much spending time saying what's right and what's true. Now I disagree that I don't spend time talking about what's right and true. When I say that something's wrong, I usually do spend at least some time explaining, okay, this is the perversion of the concept. Here's the reality, you know, and I, and I go over it. Like you can even hear episodes recently or, or what I've released as episodes like little sovereign reads kind of snippets of, uh, write-ups that I've done for the sovereign technica newsletter around like concepts of the, of the soul, um, you know, even the multiverse, all these other things, right? Because, you know, science and spirituality, even as much as I hate that term, science and spirituality when done right are intertwined. Okay. Uh, or the spirituality actually is science. You just didn't figure it out yet. However you want to think about that, however you want to do the, the mental gymnastics to understand that, you know, ancient texts thousands of years ago have scientific truths in them. You do it how you want. Okay. 
moving on. <laughs> so, uh, so I like to think that I do explain like the, the, the right, you know, maybe I, I explain what's quote unquote, right and true. Okay. Within these concepts, say of like the soul or whatever. Um, but you know, can I deeper dive on these things? Sure. But you can't deeper dive on them. Honestly, even in a two hour plus episode, okay, where we can basically talk about whatever we want and steer the show in any direction that we want, like we do with Into the Void. Now, another point that, you know, that comes up was that particularly with this episode, Sec will lay out a question. It's, it's kind of funny. At first, we're just like talking about cars. And the next thing you know, we're talking about, okay, so who are the Illuminati, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it, it's just, that's why I say this episode's just a ride, okay? And, and I love that. Really freewheeling stuff, okay? So when, kind of after that car talk, we end up diving into like, you know, Sex says, okay, so, you know, Brian Sovereign, you've talked about this that there's a mystical war or spiritual war going on. Of course, spiritual war is far from a new term, mystical war, maybe a little less, but you talk about this and he asks very succinctly and quickly, who, who is this war quote unquote against? Is it the individual versus what, you know, is it like, is it your quote unquote soul versus NASA? Is it your soul versus the Illuminati? Is it versus this or whatever? And I don't really give an answer as to who, you know, like who, who exactly is, you know, what's the other side? What's the, the quote unquote evil side of this mystical war. And there's a reason for that. Okay. And this reason honestly plays off of even when we were talking, I think it was episode four of into the void, which you can also find in this feed, uh, in episode four of into the void, you know, like sec would ask, you know, Brian, so what is, what is the iron Sof, right? And I'd say, I can't tell you, I can only tell you what it isn't, you know? And I'm, I'm effectively getting emails from people that are saying, well, just tell us what, tell us how it is. Tell us what to do. Tell us not, not necessarily like lead you or tell you, you know, like say, okay, do X, Y, Z or whatever, but I'm getting like emails to this effect and saying that like, I'm dancing around these subjects or something. And I'm like, no, I'm not dancing around. Here's the problem. The problem it's, it's two, two points. One of them I'm going to read from a great listener from the discord channel. But the first point that I want to bring up is that we, you have to understand that a lot of the information that Sek and I and penguin that we're presenting in these episodes, a lot of times this comes out of literal decades of research and you cannot compress decades. You hear me decades of research into a two hour episode, but do you want to talk about it? Do you want to get the information out there? Do you want to hang out with chums and, you know, and, 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 you know, shoot the shit and let this stuff out? Yeah, of course you do. Okay. But then, you know, and, and hopefully that inspires some discussion and then you can build out from that. Um, but the process that we really have to go through right now, Okay. To understand and why this stuff comes up. I mean, you know, Sek will ask a question and I, I love his questions. I love it to death. And, and I get to so many of them, even on like Wednesday Q and A's. Okay. Because this is, it allows us information to get out there. Even if we don't go, we, we don't follow the, uh, you know, we don't cover it from the atom up as much as I would love to, but you got to understand to cover these things from the atom up two things. One that could take 
hours and hours and hours, weeks, years, even, which I'm not afraid to take on, but let's just be clear that that's the kind of time it takes. Okay. And the other part is that there's so much that we actually have to not learn. There's so much we have to unlearn from what we have been told for either years, centuries, or even millennia. There is so, there are so many concepts, so many ideas that either uh, need to be recovered or have been perverted or whatever else that we have to, we have to go through a process of unlearning. I mean, you want to know one of the dirty secrets in archeology span and anthropology. And this has been basically dirty secrets ever since I want to say since like the forties. Okay. And this would come along with like the discovery of the dead sea scrolls and and many other, uh, ancient caches of texts, though most aren't as impressive as the dead sea scrolls. And that is our understanding of, you know, what comes across as religious orthodoxy has been completely rewritten over the past 70 years. Honestly, just in the past 20, everything you think you know about the New Testament or about any religion you can think of, and this includes Judaism in many ways, okay, everything you think you know has been turned completely upside down by tremendous evidence in the field. Yet, what has been happening the past 70 years, honestly, in many ways, not much has changed. Like when you look at, say, Christianity or some other major religions, not much has changed. Why? Because they're slow moving ships and there are people who just don't want to accept the evidence before them. And, you know, they, they don't want to lose their, their honestly, their, their prestige and their power. And so they just ignore it, even though the evidence is right there hitting everybody in the face if they will just look at it. For example, is there archaeological textual evidence that says Jesus had a wife? Yes, there is. Yes. You've got to deal with it. It's there. It's written at the time. Okay. Have you heard about that? Probably not. Why? Because again, You've got a lot of people who, I mean, a archeologists, you know, they want to, they want to really like, they really take their time. And I, and and at times I applaud them. There's times certainly where archeologists openly or quasi openly cover shit up. Okay. But archeologists want to be really careful. And there's times I can appreciate that. There's other times where I wish they just blow the fucking doors open already. Okay. But this is my point. There is so much. And this that's just a simple thing. I mean, you, you would argue it's not right. Like, whoa, this is huge. It's bigger than Dan Brown, or it's exactly what Dan Brown was saying or whatever. Fuck that guy anyway. But my point is that there are, there's so much we have to go over that we have to unlearn before you can even learn. And Hey, I am going through, it is a lifelong process and it's something you, you know, we'll all be going over probably, you know, even if we live forever, we'd probably be, you know, unlearning constantly because we are surrounded by the material world that is such a meme machine. It's such, you know, it's, it's such a, (laughs) an advertising dystopia ultimately 
passing off nonsense as truth. That, yeah, we, we have, because it's not, it's not just like, okay, I've been on earth for 41 years. Um, it's not just, you know, a linear 41 years. Like there's so much information that my brain has taken in. Okay. And this goes for everybody, unless you've lived out in the woods for most of your life, in which case you probably have a pretty good grasp on reality far better than I do even. Okay. Uh, that you have to unlearn, you have to unravel all of that. You have to dissect it and throw away what is not the truth. You have to go through the crucible of unlearning before you can actually learn. And I am trying to get through that process with everyone of unlearning as quickly as I can. I am grateful, so grateful that I have, that I, I get asked to be on other podcasts like this, uh, you know, to cover this information and, you know, explore these ideas more as well as have my own show where the, the opportunity can present itself and that I've been doing so for over a decade now already. Okay. Kind of priming the pump, getting people ready. Hey, at one point, this is all going to blow open and we're going to talk about what's really going down. And that's, that's happening right now. And I also have the Sovereign Technica newsletter where I get to write this stuff out, you know, as a whole other venue. And I have other projects that I'm working on that would allow for that as well. So I'm grateful that I exist, that I've built up, I guess, you know, th this, uh, this, this reputation and arena or uh, ability to, uh, be able to, you know, cover so much of this, because again, there's so much to unlearn before we can really learn. Now that said kind of the other, the other side of this, and I'm not, I'm going to go right, right to a listener, a sovereign technica, the listener, just like you in the discord channel for sovereign technica patrons only. And I want to read what they said about this. Okay. And, and they initially brought up, well I'll, well, I'll get to it in a second here, but anyway, uh, he said, okay, unlearning and defining re unlearning and defining difficult concepts. There are some things that resist a good positive definition and the best way for the time being to get at the root of what they are is by describing what they are not, not the most satisfying answer for some, but I think that's our plight. I could not end quote there. I completely agree. Like there are just some things we don't, I mean, and this is another problem. This is another part of the unlearning. Okay. That eventually turns into learning. For example, there are concepts there are ideas that accurately display the nature of the universe, the nature of reality that in the English language, we don't have words for. In fact, maybe no language has words for them and we're going to have to make those up, but we've got to unlearn, you know, to, to figure out what things are not before we can create the positive definition with a new term. Right? So, and I've been saying this on sovereign technique, you know, for years that, there's, there's, you know, we need another thousand words in the English language, at least to describe so many things that are, you know, that are the truth that are the nature of reality. Um, so yeah, in many ways right now, you know, like we don't have a good positive definition and we can best describe things for what, you know, by what they're not, not so much what they are. Uh, so again, that's not my words. That's from a listener, just like you. 
Now they also brought up, they said, uh, he says also, I I've had this in my gym for as long as I can remember. Uh, and they have a, this awesome Yoda poster. In fact, I remember this Yoda poster. I used to see it. I think at like Spencer's or something, but anyway, the Yoda poster has the quote, which I talked about in a Wednesday Q and a has the quote where he says, you must unlearn what you have learned. And Yoda is right on the money with that one. Uh, that that's the process we, you know, that, that right now we have to go through again before we can really learn. Now, all of that said, I want to get that message about unlearning out there because it's so key. All of that said, another kind of a side subject that weaves its way throughout this entire episode that is really important is really the history of online libertarianism. Uh, and, and in some ways, libertarianism in general, and we'll talk about it towards the end that, you know, uh, uh, sec penguin and I, and maybe I might even get Mrs. Sovereign in on it, uh, you know, to discuss like what, you know, say the years of, I don't know, anywhere between 2000, I mean, and, and, you know, sex been in this game for many decades. Uh, but you know, at the very least, like cover different generations of libertarianism. And I think one of the, one of the interesting ones that I, you know, would talk about would be the years from like 2010 to honestly, like 20, 2015, 2016, and maybe even a little bit beyond that. Uh, there's a big conversation to be had there, but as I'll talk about in this episode, I think this process of unlearning and then learning is really only possible now that we've gone through that phase of incessant bickering on Facebook, you know, in libertarian, like, like this, it's not just incessant, it, it's downright incestuous, uh, bickering between libertarians on Facebook, like this libertarians, right? This one's wrong. This one, it, it, I mean, it's just this insane circle that goes on that went on years ago that I, I, well, I'm sure it's still going on in some forms for a while there. It was like, that was the battleground of libertarianism. We'll talk about it in the episode. Okay. But I think we're finally at a point now where I've been using this phrase a lot in this intro, but yeah, we can blow the doors open on all this and really get into the, again, the real nature of reality, the real nature of freedom and choice and so much more and take actions that will actually create change for the individual. And I be very clear in my terms there that create change for the individual. Um, we're at that stage right now. And these episodes of into the void, I think have done, I mean, we, we had episodes where we talked about like, wait a minute, what's the relationship between, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jews and Israel really like, or Judaism and Israel, are they the same thing? And, you know, and all this, are they really related? And, you know, so many, again, this is all that process of unlearning. We get to go through that. And I think as we keep going into the future, it's going to morph into it's morphing time. We're going to morph. It's going to morph into more of that learning. Um, but we've got, you know, tremendous episodes lined up. All of this stuff builds off of each other. Even if at times it seems like I'm laying out, you know, like, and I'll say this in, in the episode, you know, where I'm putting the cart way ahead of the horse. Okay. Um, but I'll always pay off a tease, even if it takes months or years, I'll always pay off a tease. And, 
you know, that's the other, the last part, last thing I want to end this with is please respect the fact that laying out the evidence of a lot of these ideas, okay. Or the evidence, a lot of these, again, I would call them truths and what is truth. Well, you know, I did a user podcast episode about that. Go look it up about what truth actually is. Um, if you have problems with that term, okay. But to describe, I guess the best way to put it, to describe the reality, okay, to lay out the evidence for the reality of things, um, that is going to take time. Okay, you can't do it in a in a, you can't do it in two hours. Can't do it in a two hour you know freewheeling podcast. You can't do it in a two or even four or six. Hour, how, how long did Alex Jones used to do some 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 documentaries for? He'd have the extended editions that were like six hours long. You can't do it in a six hour fucking you know documentary. It's not possible. Okay. Um, but we'll pay it off and the evidence is there and we will get to it, but I need you to respect that it takes time and that this has to be done the right way because you can make wild statements and people will just laugh them off. Why? Because you haven't laid the groundwork yet. You've got to lay the groundwork for these things. And that's a lot of what's going on here. And it's a lot of what I've been doing in all my work, not just into the void and just about everything. And sec will actually make a comment about that as well in this. And I, and I'm honored by that, but regardless, uh, it's again, it's always great to just have a conversation with just these two brilliant guys. Uh, and they really are. And if you're not listening to the Agora podcast yet, jump on it. I mean, you're, you are missing out on some tremendous conversations they have other, they, they have so many great guests, you know, I talk about it like, oh yeah, I'm the one that's on the most or whatever. No, they, they have, they have just incredible people on that show and you, you really should go check it out if you haven't yet. Um, but with all of that said, okay, that's really, that's it. It's been a very long, I, I tacked on and what, like a half hour onto this already two hour plus into the void, but it's important. Again, it's that groundwork that has to get laid out. So we're laying it out. Okay. It's, it, I, I want to address the critics who are like, well, just tell us just, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Okay. There's so much you have to unlearn before you can learn and accept, you know, like that one listener had stated, except that some things, you know, defy a good positive definition. And some things are, as Max Stirner said, some things are just ineffable. There are no terms and there really never can be as hard as we try. So with that, we will get into the void. Oh, and, and, and you're getting a, a slightly, a slightly different version, uh, than, than what's going to be in the Agora podcast feed. Um, because <laughs> we have some, I mean, we're live when we record this. So whoever's watching can hear it. You know, it's not like it's not information that's out there, but we have some banter here and there. And, uh, I wanted to leave some of that banter in, <laughs> it's, you know, it's three guys having a good time. So anyway, <laughs> enjoy. I, uh, and I will see all of you <laughs> woo, on the other side. <laughs> oh yeah. We're live by the way. We're just, all right. We, I just, Hello, I just joined the room and I just joined the room and, uh, started, uh, broadcasting. Nice. Yeah, so why why not? Fuck, we'll do it. I went on. I went on today. I was like, oh, it's gonna be a nice day. I'll do some stuff after I get done recording with Ernie Hancock, and then that went like for fucking three hours. So, oh yeah, Ernie can do that too. Yeah, yeah. man, he's awesome. he can he can talk for sure. 
Oh yeah. No, he's one of the best. <laughs> yeah. No, I, like I, he was talking and I like, I'm like, I got to pee. I can't wait for him to stop and say, I got to pee. And I just went and peed and I came back and he was still talking. Just like, didn't even know I left. Uh, <laughs> so then I, then I had to like, uh, run around. Like I wanted to get some stuff done on the homestead since it's a nice yeah. day. So then I was running around trying to do that. And then I was like, Oh fuck. I haven't eaten. I have to eat something. Yeah. Yeah. Stuffing food in my face. I don't know. It's so been a kind of a busy, oddly busy day for some reason. Yeah. yeah here's the trick. I, I was, I, Go ahead, Penguin. Go ahead. No, no, I have nothing to say. Go ahead. What's up? Oh, I was just going to say, you, this, uh, is holding the, this, flask. This, is a, this is a wide mouth bottle, okay? Some of us need that. Others don't need the wide mouth. Uh, and this is not for drinking water. <laughs> this, is, this is a professional podcaster's trick. <laughs> <laughs> if it gets going three hours, then boy, you got to go. <laughs> I know. I was... Uh, Especially, you know, I was drinking water. I was probably still, we started at 11. I still had a coffee left over, yeah. you know, too. And I had a water and like halfway through, I'm like, I'll wait till like he comes back and then I'll respond to what he said. And then I'll be like, I got to run. But I'm like, he was talking, talking, talking. I'm like, no, I got to go like now, yep. like not yep. later. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> What'd you guys talk about? What was uh, homesteading and like some nice. Carl Hess stuff? and oh, yeah. gorilla gardening and i don't know the Dynamite. state of the world autonomy where things are going yeah awesome so, can't wait to hear it should be out next week cool yeah he's usually pretty quick with those well um what do we want to talk about i i'm up to anything all right let's let it roll yeah we'll just figure we'll figure it out as we go because i don't think any of us have any shortage of the talking, you know, I don't know. No, no, we're all professionals here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we're streaming now. Hold on. Let's see. I yeah. I think penguins, away. penguins away for right the second, but yeah. oh, right on. We are. Uh... Oh yeah. BRB. What's new, man. How's things going over your end? Yeah, pretty good. Um, are you still on Ice Planet over there? Yeah, well, I was in the fifties actually. Past couple of days, not negative. We saw that, nice. but no. <laughs> other way. Uh, but yeah, no, not 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 terrible, not terrible. Yeah, all last week I think it was like in the like t-shirt weather. It was in the sixties, man. We were out, we were out in the mountains hiking. It was you know, a t-shirt. It was fucking beautiful. But then, like, I think Friday, yeah, yesterday. Yesterday it got cold again and snowed, mm. and then today it was cold in the morning, but then got back up to it's probably like you know, I don't know fifty something now. Yeah, yeah. but Damn. sunny with no breeze, so it's nice. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna get another cold snap though. I don't think it's spring here yet. I don't know. I it mm. fools me every year they have what's called a false spring, you know. So it's like been cold. And then it'll get like warm for like two weeks and you're like, fuck yeah. And you're outside <laughs> and you're getting, you're like, yeah, all right, spring. And you're getting all this shit ready for, you know, you know, it's a homestead. So we're getting all the gardens ready. We're like, ah, we should fucking plant. It's beautiful right. out. And then like a week later, it's like fucking 10, you know what I mean? And then <sighs> winter comes back for another like three weeks, you know, but I, it just I gets get, your hopes up. Yeah. We, we, we get tempted to like to move where it's warmer. Partly just because 
I don't know. I, I want Ellen to wear less clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Not. That's, that's really the only reason I give a shit. I know my, my lady wears like sundresses year round. I'm like, yes, that's yeah, that's, right, that's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, I'll it's tell you, man. I'm from the Northeast, and yeah. I I love a lot about the Northeast. Yeah, but where I'm at now is like all the best parts of the Northeast mm. without the fucking crazy cold winter. You know what yeah, I mean? Without the extremes. Yeah, right. So we get the we get the four seasons, which I like. It's you know it's mountainous here, um, which I liked about the Northeast. There's a lot of woods and stuff, and mm-hmm. like what like I'm used to up north. Yep. A lot of beautiful rivers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't have the fucking feet of snow, you know? That's the yeah. only, uh, that's the the plus about down here. So I, I tell everybody, like, look, man, this is like the Northeast, but better, you know? Yeah, right. Because I, I lived in like, Southern California, and I was like, yeah, it's fucking 70. But after a while, it's 70 all the time there, except when it's 120. Yep. Um. But after a while, I'm like, ah, I kind of miss the fall, you know, I miss the seasons and, uh, you know, the tree, you know, it's desert and palm trees out there. It's kind of a different, whole different vibe. And after a while, I kind of miss the woods and the fall and the mountains and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I hear that. I mean, I lived in Florida for years. Um, I like I lived in the literal Sherwood Forest or at least where Sherwood Forest was filmed um, oh, nice. for the original Adventures of, Rob- Adventures of Robin Hood with uh, Errol Flynn. So nice. it's like, wow, this is a dream, you know, <laughs> but, but then like, you just get sick of it. I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah. something about the, the change throughout yep. the year that yep. it keeps it like less monotonous, you know, I, I don't know. Yep. So I, I dig it. All right. Um, I guess I'll just yeah. go ahead and intro this thing and uh, let's do it. Penguin. <laughs> let's roll. We are, we already started rolling. So let's roll. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Let me put my glasses off so I can, I don't need to see anything, but just I feel kind of naked with all them. All right. Hold on. Let me mute. Puff on the van. Welcome back to another Into the Void episode with Brian Sovereign joining us. As usual, it's me, Penguin, and Sek Magora. Uh, We have another exciting one of these. I don't know. It's like our fourth or fifth um, Into the Void episode. Um, Great to see you back, uh, Brian. Yeah, man, great to be back. Yeah, I think we're number five. I think that's that's where we're at. Well, you know, our first one wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be. It might be listed as four. It is technically five. Or it might be listed as five and technically six. But yeah, these things are fun. We've definitely had more of these than any other kind of, um, you know, ongoing uh, thing. Definitely, as we always say, our uh, most frequent guests on the show by a long shot at this point. Yeah, always honored. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's anybody same. else in the running anymore. I think you lapped everybody oh, else. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I do that in life in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Zach, what's going on with you? Uh, anything new you want to share? Um. Well. No, <laughs> no not really. I mean, I just got done uh, doing. An, eh, I'll announce it here. I just got done doing an uh, interview with Ernest Hancock from Declare Your Independence. So um, Woo, our Ernie. podcast got on national radio, syndicated radio or whatever. So um, Yeah, Ernest yeah, is one of the best. That's awesome. 
Yeah, he's a cool guy. I like him, and he's a he's a doer, which I I kind of dig, and that's why yeah. kind of why he had me on. So, um, so that was fun. Uh, that that boy can talk. So we went we went three hours or so, eleven uh, two I think, or something like that. And so look for that. That'll be out next week. I'll link it everywhere that people listen to me. So, um, but oh, you want an update on you want an update on the truck? Oh man. I need to, we used to have a joke, me and my buddies that like, we just were punching ourselves in the nuts whenever things were going bad. And we just made a joke that we just need a big, like big wooden fist and just fucking smack our nuts into it. Cause that's how fucking life goes. (laughs) So update on the truck. I took out a loan to pay for a good majority of the initial work. And then I found out that I need another four to five grand I need to put into the thing because there's a a sort of adjacent problem. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much you all know. But there's a problem with the EGR valve. The problem with the the EGR valve, which is something to do with the emission system. It's a exhaust gas recirculator or whatever the thing. And uh, that was probably because my pump, my injection pump was going bad. So it was burning a lot of shit and that fouled uh, part of my emission system that, and now um, the way these things operate, the truck would run fine with this being a problem, but the computer will stop the truck from moving, if that makes sense. So now I got to drop another four grand into this thing and I am just fucking furious and stressed like you wouldn't believe. Um, Computers have absolutely no place in in a vehicle. I'll tell you what, man, I am never again buying a newer vehicle ever. Mm -hmm. Just not doing it. I'm getting everything I buy is going to be like pre 1990s. Yes, they had computers in them then, but they weren't nearly as involved or or, uh, related to literally everything in the vehicle then you know it was yeah it it didn't have like the obd2 system in it Um, right so really all the computer was doing was controlling largely the firing of um of the The pistons yeah 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 so that like that's almost all that it did and that and i mean yes you could argue that it did help and that wouldn't be until like 82 when those started getting added in um, you could argue that it would help with fuel efficiency to some degree, but even, I mean, that's a small argument and you could do that physically anyway. You didn't need a computer to do those sorts of things. But anyway, yeah, just outrageous. I always tell people buy cars pre-1996 before they put the, the major computers in them. It's just stupid. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I yeah. just, I can't, I can't do it. Um, and my sister keeps giving me a hard time. She's like, that's what you get for buying America. Uh, domestic vehicles like american made and if so i have a 2500 diesel and i need that 2500 diesel to haul the equipment that i use for my business i i, ha- I that's need what to americans have. make yep and there isn't a comparable uh foreign vehicle that um <clears throat> at least that's sold in the u.s so mm-hmm. like toyota nissan and such apparently this is car talk but uh, the uh, car talk episode, but um, there isn't a, like a Toyota or Nissan that's sold in the U S that is that um, they have some diesels, but they're not beefy enough to actually like do some, any kind of serious hauling. 
So they don't, there isn't a, there isn't, I would, I'm not tied to GM. I, it's mm-hmm. just, they happen to have, uh, uh, they, you know, some of these foreign companies do, do not have the uh, comparable vehicle for whatever reason that is. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, think a lot of it's to do with terrorists, ahead. to be honest with uh, that. A lot of it's to do with terrorists and protectionism, honestly. Um, you know, that's the truck market, Probably, yeah. uh, the, the light, the light to like medium to heavy duty trucks. Both both of those ends of the spectrum, they're heavily heavily. Like, so that's where the um, U.S. obviously. Um, it's like the one thing I know about this topic, yeah. So this is like the um, one automotive uh, sector of the automotive market that the U- U.S. really dominates. Um, you know, this is may get you might get a U.S. automakers with a hit on some specific thing. I mean, you could you would see the Ford Focus comes kind of a hit overseas in some places and this and that, but really it's the trucks. It's the the big three uh, manufacturers, pickups, the small and the, also the heavy duty trucks. But the reason you get um, the reason you they, they dominate so much is there. It, it is like a huge, tremendous tariff put on these uh, foreign pickups. Um, and that's that's really the only thing that's keeping them in business and preventing them from just getting absolutely slaughtered. And that's obviously the only thing that keeps these automakers in business. Um IP and protectionism. Yeah. Protectionism because like, um, yeah, because I'm not saying, well, Toyota is tremendously popular. Honda, uh, I I would love to buy a a rigid line, but imagine if they could actually, so imagine they're competitive with the tariff. Imagine without that, they, um, and, and the U S only really has an, uh, uh, auto manufacturing sector because of these trucks so you know they're not yeah. making their money on the on on compact cars or anything like that yeah it's a funny thing i know in i know in the late 90s nissan did try to bring more of their truck division here but it just didn't sell like and it couldn't compete with i mean it's not a thing because it couldn't compete with ford you know and gm um who really dominate in these spaces with making the big engines and the big rigs and um I think part of that comes down to that, especially with Ford, like even in the late nineties, those were still fairly repairable, uh, by the owner fairly. I mean, they had, again, the more advanced computers in them, sure, but they're still fairly, uh, repairable as to where in Japan. I mean, that's just that, that, that's not the case. And I've often wondered about this because like, like speaking of terrorism, <laughs> not necessarily terrorism is just a, just a conflict, just a war, but you had, uh, was it in Libya? in the late eighties, it was like 86 and 87. You had what literally gets called the Toyota wars. Right. And this is due to the fact that, uh, Chad's right. The Chad war, they were using Toyota, uh, Hiluxes like as, as military vehicles. And they were incredible. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, they were really, I would kill for a Hilux. Right. Right. I mean, I, I can even remember episodes of top gear where they're like driving those things up to volcanoes. Those things are so damn tough. Um, and so it's, it's a funny thing that, well, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with that, but, but anyway, I think, or I guess where I was going to go with it is I get the sense that Japan like didn't want things to be repairable because they didn't want to, they didn't, the companies didn't want their uh, brands uh, to be the names of any wars going into the future. So they wanted these things to die. But anyway, <laughs> that's just a funny. I, I gotta tell you, I gotta, I gotta love in my heart for like the older light duty Toyota trucks. Those were yeah. good little trucks, man. Then they'd yeah, run yeah. forever. And yeah. if all I needed was, a, running in some cases. yeah, I mean, I, I had a buddy, he, he had, uh, I don't know, it was a T 100 and, and, uh, 
it was beat up and whatever else. And I used to give him a hard time. And he's like, say whatever you ever want, but this thing's got 500,000 miles on it and there's nothing wrong with it. It just gets, just I drives. still see him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, to, uh, you know, the, the Toyota and, and whoever else, Nissan, they make some really good, like light duty trucks and those they are mm-hmm. they're awesome, but that's not what I need. They, they need to get some, um, heavy duty trucks in the market in America. And I, I don't know if it's just protectionism or IP or what, it, or it's just most of the dudes that are people that buy trucks are like kind of good old boy and are like, I need American made or whatever the thing, you know, I but think that's a big part of it. Yeah. That's probably a large part of it. You know? Yeah. I think it yep. was, but if you could, if you could undercut these huge prices on these diesels and stuff, I mean, Oh, they're going know, price, for like eighty to a hundred thousand dollars right now. Yeah, new, price competition means something. Yeah, for sure. And they're all shit. Like all the people are they're, were giving me a hard time because I, I've got a Chevy Duramax. And, uh, well, that's what you get for buying Chevy or whatever the thing. I'm like, look, I, let me show you. It's the exact same parts in Ford and in Chrysler or Cummings or whatever. It's the same. They're the same freaking trucks. It yep. might be a slightly different motor, but all their other components are virtually the same you know they're the same specs same everything they're all junk they're all complete junk um and they're charging like 80 to a hundred thousand dollars for a brandy new um you know 2500 from either you know ford or, or chevy or whatever the thing and they're worse than they were 20 10 20 years ago yeah so I don't know. I had an oh, I had uh, some early 2000s duramaxes and they were awesome trucks Hmm. Yes, it was harder to work on them than it was previously, um, but you didn't have the same problems that you have now. And so I, I just somebody sent me a link just recently. And the problem that I am having is something that existed in the 2011 to 2017 models. It's the C4 fuel injection pump, and it's a it's a pile of junk. It was made for trucks, diesels in Europe where the the sulfur um in the diesel there's a lot more sulfur in the diesel in europe than there is in the united states so that sulfur acts as a lubricant in these parts they use the same pump for europe as they did for here without any way to lubricate the internal workings of the pump nor anything to stop that uh the um, metal shavings uh that would come out of that pump when it Mm -hmm. failed from going into the rest of your fuel system so that was a problem from there's been class action lawsuit after class action lawsuit. Somebody just sent me a link and 2023 they're doing a recall right now for the same fucking problem. So they haven't even fixed it. Do you know what I mean? Like, but they're doing a recall now, but they were still putting the same pump in the 2023 that you're going to pay 80 to a hundred thousand dollars for. It's, it's outrageous. I'm never doing it again. I'm just never, I'm never buying a new vehicle again. It's just, I'm yeah. not going to do it. It's, you know, it's more, there are more, the reason I went with a newer vehicle this time is because I went and looked at the used truck market and they wanted a lot of money for used trucks that were really, really beat up. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to inherit somebody else's problems mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to pay too much for it. So I went and got a new truck thinking like, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of these new trucks, but you know, at least it's new. I'll have less problems. I've had lot more problems out of this truck than I, I have also have a 99 Dodge 1500. I've had more problems out of my 2016 Duramax than I have my 99 Dodge Ram. 
So it's, I'm just, I'm not, it, we've, we had that, uh, made that joke on another episode, Penguin, me and you, where it's like a fridge from the eighties will outlast time. You know what I mean? Yes. But like a fridge now, you're lucky it lasts you five t- years. You know what I mean? It's it, a lot of it's planned obsolescence and just shoddier, um, yeah. shoddier work. And, uh, Brian, you're the one that really crystallized this for me is it's, they're not, they're not producing for the consumer anymore. They're producing for their stockholders. That's, yes. that's who they're serving. And you yeah, might think that uh, might be the same thing, no, but it's not. What serves the stockholders is shittier product, pushing out more shittier units and growth. And you mm-hmm. can't have growth if you make anything that lasts you 20 years. It's just not, it's yeah, not ha- the way it happens. They hadn't progressed and engineered in all the planned obsolescence that they could. And I guess it takes time because people have to accept that. I guess that's the real limitation, limiting factor on them is that they have to, people have to accept that. So it's kind of, it's, it's overall long-term trend is it creates, uh, it creates a society where, well, oh, sorry, I lose my thought. It creates a society was trying to maximize just like throughput and GDP. So you're just constantly putting, pushing out shit that has to be replaced and replaced and replaced. And I don't know, this kind of goes back to, um, what, what some of Kevin Carson's work? I think it's homebrew. It might have been um, homebrew and uh, the Iron Fist behind Invisible Hand, but it's it's the same basic deal. That um, you know, the goal was to kind of push push through more production and uh, on the macro level, and I guess what you consider the micro level, you know, basically like you said, for the company on the company's scale to increase. Uh, profits for the shareholders keep those machines running keep units moving yeah you got a couple things really going on there um there's the shareholder part and i do want to talk more about that a little bit um but also you do have where you know even if let's say these companies you know wanted to make things wanted to be on the up and up and they wanted to make things in such a way that they could be like you know a maytag washer from 1970 that somehow is still operating 50 60 years later um, they want to like, even if they're going to make things right, build them quote unquote, right to where they're built to last or something. Uh, you still want to incentivize people to buy your new models. Now, the way you do that, of course, is put in new features. Problem is new features generally create, a, a, you know, or fall into another, uh, what I would call it almost a truism, but, or, well, no, I wouldn't go there, but anyway, an old saying, which is the more you overthink the plumbing, the easier it is to stop the drain. And that's really like the more complex they make these things, uh, there's just more to break. There's just more to go wrong. Um, and that's the same thing that's happening. I think largely with sex truck, you know, as far as like the computer being the issue, even though mechanically there's no reason that it can't run. Um, so, but then, yeah, Corey Doctorow had recent, did a fairly recent piece. I want to say maybe just the past couple months, um, called the Inchitification of platforms. Now he was talking more about social media and a lot of other things, but I think this is true for most that there's just with business as is, there's just this path of where, okay, you make something quality with features. Everything's consumer facing, right? It's for the consumer, like Sec was saying, or like what Sec was saying that I was saying it's for the consumer, et cetera, et cetera. But then it gets to the point where, yes, like you build up that base, you build up that user base and then you have to you, usually you go public, you bring in investors, 
and then you have to please the investors. Um, I love the, the term alone. That's why I bring it up is the inshittification of things. Um, yeah, that's again, precisely it, right. Yeah. I'm going to have to read that. That's precisely right. That sounds, that sounds right to me for sure. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great piece. Again, he was talking more about like online platforms, but I think it's true across the board and he brings up examples in, in other, or not across, but most of the board. How about that? Um, but he brings up examples and other things. Uh, his, you know, his solution for inshittification is okay, fine. You just got to know where to go next. Like what's the next company to run to and the know where to go and be able to take everything with you. Again, he's talking more about online platforms, say like Twitter and moving to Mastodon, but you know, you can't just move to Mastodon, right? Because you, you don't carry your Twitter followers over with you. So the value prop isn't, you know, proposition isn't there. Um, but again, the term overall, I think fits and applies to a lot of aspects of, of at least the market we're dealing with right now uh, in shitification. So what do you got, Penguin? Oh, um, yeah. It, it, so it basically it's the need for constant growth and expansion from you know mm -hmm. publicly held or you know in, investor investor controlled companies that you know you, you you've got so you've got companies and it's not every company it's it's the you're looking at this for, um, in, in in the rear view mirror. So you're looking at it, you're filtering for companies that have created a, a successful product, that have established a user base, that have made a name for themselves, that have this good product that people like. And then, of course, once you get into the point where, uh, you know, I guess the com it just seems that the company is going to need to expand and get to that next level and have have this be flush with cash for these investors. Which uh, mm -hmm. you got to ask, what do you need to be flush with cash for? But because because obviously the the obvious next step is to use that cash to greatly expand the business. But of course they're going to demand increasing increasing returns, and that's not going to stop after a finite period of time. That's going to continue to be the case. So like Twitter. I mean, it's a great example, and it's because it's also the one I use. Um, like, but you can imagine Facebook or anything; they have all these features that people like, but they just have to be constantly be pressured to come up with more and more and more stuff. And what if, as a user, and what if, as a user base in the aggregate, I don't really need it? This is this is pretty much optimal. This is why it's popular. There's like a bajillion people on here, um, and they're constantly. And then, I mean, even now, it's funny because you see um, in the Elon Musk era, they're just con he's just constantly tweaking at in these little useless features and people are complaining i don't really notice them one way or another but just like the the view count on the tweets and just like all these unnecessary changes but you see that on even other platforms they'll go through them even i remember when facebook would go over these updates and sometimes they were pretty drastic at least visually well and visually and and on the user experience and it's just like uh well yeah they're going to have to keep doing that because you you can't really just stagnate or you know as as a business in kind of this kind of you know invest investor driven capitalist environment it's encoded into law so by law you have to produce growth for your or actually you have to act in a way that will produce growth for your investors like by law right. so right. there's a percentage that yeah exactly it, so that's not even like you have to make money for your investors you have to increase profits at all times for your investors so that mm -hmm. that's uh necessarily i mean i think that's where a lot of this stems from is that that's the i don't know exact uh, wording of the law but that's essentially it is that you you have to create growth for your investors by law if you are a uh, publicly shared company so that has a lot of that that is where i think a lot of these perverse incentives stem from 
Um, yeah, it's not so much that you can. It's not even like you can continue to make decent money. You always have to make more and more and more and more. So that leads us to shittier quality products and planned obsolescence and disposable everything. Right. And then here we are. Yeah. I don't even know that it's always, you know, like this stuff doesn't always have to be even malicious. Like it's just something that they have to do. You know, they, they, they don't have a choice. Um, I think Facebook tried to like get around this by buying their competition, but not shutting it down. You, you know, traditionally what would happen is, you know, Ma Bell, you know, AT&T or IBM or whoever would buy their competition and then shut it down. Um, or even, you know, you think like GM, GM will buy out another, you know, another car company and then eventually shut it down. Um, whatever the case may be. And when that, the problem is that that usually doesn't seem to work. And it certainly hasn't helped Facebook any because they basically, they still have to go through the same process. Like Instagram has to get perverted into an ad platform or WhatsApp has to get perverted into an ad platform, even though like this is kind of the solution they're trying to go with is, okay, Facebook is becoming meaningless. Let's buy out what's popular, what the next thing is. And then we still own it and we keep going forward, but nothing really changes. And I can't help but think that, well, there's another old saying that the richest person you know is actually the poorest. And what that means is they're the most in debt. And this is a great irony is that all these people that get held up, and I don't care who they are, from Bezos to Musk to, I mean, half of what, half of the nonsense that Elon Musk is doing with Twitter is to try and get out of like what he's going to effectively owe lenders you know, for even buying Twitter in the first place. Um, like, like people that we consider poor, you know, in the United States, a lot of them percentage wise are actually more wealthy than, you know, like as far as, uh, again, percentage, you know, ratio comparison to money and debt are actually wealthier than Jeff Bezos. Now that sounds crazy, right? And you could say, well, well, who the hell cares if you get to live like Jeff Bezos? And I understand that point, but like these people, it, it's, it's just like, um, you know, it's, and I've talked about this recently on some of, uh, some of my episodes, but it's the same thing with like bodybuilders, right? You look at bodybuilders, you think they're the healthiest people alive. No, they're, they're the second, if not the first highest group, uh, just waiting for heart disease to occur because, you know, the human body is just not meant to carry around 300 pounds of mass. It doesn't matter if it's muscle or fat. And with that, you know, with, but again, you think that they're, oh, they've got it great. Oh, they're this, they're that, whatever. Like, no, it's just not true. Um, and I, you know, I wonder about this sometimes, how much this lending, how far does this go back to where, because it, it's something, and I think we've even talked about it maybe on Into the Voids. And, you know, I think you both were hitting at this too, but like this idea of the church of eternal growth, or like you said, Sec, how it's in law that they have to grow. What is behind this church of eternal growth? And sometimes I wonder what it comes down to is the reason these companies have to grow, 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 and not just like kick back and enjoy the interest on whatever the hell they're doing, or at the very least, just have like a more steady state, uh, is that like th there's debts that have to get paid back probably a thousand years. I don't know. You know, it's, it, it's, we don't really know what's really owed anywhere. And anyway, anybody got any thoughts on that? <laughs> Well, I got to say, as much as I enjoy this conversation, it's not weird enough. No, so might, yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> we might have to take a weird turn. Yeah. This um, actually just came out of the truck conversation anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We've never I really gone past the intro. Uh, right. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, this is all important information, but maybe we should sure. take a, let's take a, do we want to veer off into a weirder direction? Yeah. Okay. I got a couple of, 
I got a couple of different things we can go and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys. We could talk about, I had a, a response to one of our other into the voids about Israel. Oh boy. We could talk about that. We could talk about, um, reality being objective or maybe being a hologram. We could talk about that. Um, we could talk about actually, no, here, let me go into this and then we can spring off into something else. So Brian, this is, uh, so call it what you like, synchronicity or what have you, but right around the time, and this isn't the first time this has happened, that I, years ago I was really heavy into like mysticism and the occult and whatever else. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I kind of uh, veered off and just did the grind and didn't really think about that all that much for a number of years. And then a couple of years back, I sort of took a, a turn back into it and started getting into it again and doing some reading. And uh, I don't know, I was watching a lot of, you know, Terrence McKenna and whoever else and um, getting back into sort of mysticism again. But at the same time, you took the same turn. Shane from the Vanu podcast went down this road as well. He's been delving into sort of spirituality and mysticism again. And now my question is, is this sort of like a synchronicity or are we a similar type of personality or are we picking up on something in the culture that we are reacting to? Do you see what I mean? Like it's weird that, and this isn't the first thing that, that happened there. Like when we were talking about the uh, agorist delivery system, there was like three, four, five of us that all came to the same idea, like at the same time, and then all sort of converged on that topic. And then, so it's happening again with like spiritual, spirituality is a weird word. I don't like it either. Mysticism, I call it whatever you like. Um, there's a number of us that sort of went down that path again. Now, why now, I guess, is my question to you. Is there something in the air? You know, are we picking on some, up on something that we don't even really realize? Or is it just more comfortable to talk about now? Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I guess, well, why did you start going down this path again now? Or at least talking about it? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, as, as far as me now, all right. I, I, obviously there's never just one reason for anything. You know, I say that all the time. There's at least three <laughs> and, uh, there could be a lot more to this one. I mean, I'll, I'll bring up a couple things as far as what, and this is th- th- even in this reasoning, there's, there's part and parcel in this. And so libertarianism. Okay. As I think people who have been in libertarianism for a while. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like the Murray Rothbard types or anything who like were part of the founding of the libertarian party or anything in the eighties or anything like that. I'm talking about the libertarianism that grew out of say like the Ron Paul movement, you know, say like uh 2008 and when the internet also in social media started to become a thing, there was a confluence of things that were occurring. Basically there was a space and it happened to be Facebook where uh, like-minded individuals could really come together from all over the world. And they did. And so you had this time from say like 2010, 2011, whenever Facebook more opened up outside of just allowing college students to use it, 
you had this this time frame from 2011 to like 2015, I want to say, um, where Facebook was like that was Ancapistan, like that was the libertarian nation, frankly. Um, now within that, there you know a lot of arguments going back and forth and any everything, and and a lot of podcasts kind of came out of that environment, partly out of constantly responding to the arguments, frankly, happening on, on Facebook. And if other people don't want to admit that this is how it was, I mean, they don't have to admit it, but they're wrong. You know, like this is, I I consider this pretty much fact. And I'd love to, if I still had a Facebook account, I'd almost love to go back, you know, to that time. And you could just see it. Like, I mean, it's again, history will show it. We'll talk about it. I'm sure at some point, whenever all this opens up, but regardless. Okay. So you had you had that time frame um and people were really excited there were a lot of good ideas okay uh but honestly after say 5 years and if you want to be generous let's give it to 2017 even after 7 years nothing changed like not nothing nothing at all changed like if anything things just kept getting worse as much as it looked like, wow, there's so many liberty-minded people out there. There's this, there's that, this is great, blah, blah, blah. And, and nothing, nothing changed. And it didn't matter how logical the arguments were. And honestly, those logical arguments existed long before the internet was even a thing or even computers were a thing. Okay. Um, again, nothing was really changing. And you really just had this circle jerk going on you know, on online, say it became Twitter after Facebook, whatever, but you just had a circle jerk going on where you had like libertarians just kind of arguing with each other about varying ideas. And Hey, I fell into it too. I'm not like claiming to be above it all necessarily. Um, and part of the reason that I was finally willing to open up say starting in 2019 and, and, and particularly with with 2020, part of the reason I was starting to, to, to open up was, uh, I was like, okay, this, none of this is working. None of this is working. And I felt a certain confidence in the idea that because the logic wasn't necessarily winning the day and even actions that were being done in real life, weren't really winning the day. Um, it kind of solidified for me that there is a, uh, a mystical aspect to existence that is keeping people from being truly free. Um, that's part of it. Again, this is only part of it. And there's another part I want to get into that that's related to this as well. Okay. Um, but that when, when I came, when, when I, when that really solidified for me, I was like, okay, you know, and I, I can remember, you know, talking to my now wife uh, about it at the time and saying, yeah, like, I just, I have to start talking about Kabbalah. Like I have to start talking about mysticism. I mean, I always sort of was, and I was always hinting at the ideas, but I was always using like science or whatever to get the same point across. You were for years on your podcast, dropping hints that, yeah. and I've said this to you before, that only people who knew what you were saying would know what you were saying. Yep. For, you were, so you were doing it for years, but you were never like explicit and overt. Uh, like to the point where like you'd say something and be like, wait a minute, I know where he's getting that from. Like he's talking about this X, Y, or Z thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So there's more to fucking Brian than just a tech show here. You know, like you've been doing yeah. that for years and years. And I picked up on that. 
but now you're like outright with it, which is a whole uh, a slightly different thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's really it. Like it's, it's always kind of been there, but then it just got to the point where it's like, okay, no, we got to talk about this because this is where a lot of the quote unquote real solutions uh, come from. I mean, and as real a solution and concurrent solution as, you know, uh, outlaw gardening and all of these other great things, you know, that, that are absolutely part of the material world and, and really part and parcel of it all. Um, and so, you know, and also like the direction, another part of it for me, I want to just get in two more parts and then we can kind of expand. Um, another part of it for me was that the tech world was just going in the wrong direction. Like technology was just not, it stopped democratizing. It stopped empowering the individual. And it just ended up empowering Silicon Valley and corporatist bullshit. Like, like it just, it's, it, and, and it's a pity because a lot of this stuff, like encryption could have become far more mainstream. So many wonderful technologies could have become, and, and, and things that were the individual uh, had a lot more control of their life and control of their data could have happened. And there was a chance for it to do that. And it just didn't. And so I could no longer espouse technology as the great solution as to where it had an opportunity to at least be a major part of it. Um, but that, that did not happen. Um, so, you know, and, and keep in mind folks, like I've been doing my show for 10, you know, over 10 years. Um, so, you know, that's a long time for things to change or, you know, for, for something to happen. And, and again, this, this just didn't happen. Um, the other part of it that I'll bring up quickly is, um, and, and this has to do with like the, the whole online movement of libertarianism, frankly, dying off, I think. Uh, and again, it died off years ago, but you did have, I think a lot of people, and, and I could even fall into this too, were like, okay, I just don't want to deal with people's like arguments of, oh, Brian Sovereign said this and, you know, like, don't listen to him anymore. This is terrible and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of it came and, and I'll just say this outright. A lot of it came down to people who followed, um, uh, Molly Knox and people should know who I'm talking about right there. Uh, but Molly Knox, I think was one of the biggest things that, that kept, uh, mysticism from being the gen from being accepted, explored and taken as the genuine solution that it is for freedom in people's lives. Um, and so I, I do put, I put a lot of blame right there because, uh, like, and it's not even him. It's more his followers were so, I'll call them hyper-rational. Uh, like they, they were just constantly like they, they, and, and they were so like on, like they were so online, they would just shut down, you know, like any conversation. Like if I talked not about a lot, not an argument. Yeah, not right. That's exactly what they'd say. Not an argument. You know, like if I talked about Kabbalah in 2014, my show probably would have just been, I don't know, somehow they would have, they would have figured out to get a band. I mean, these people are, were so terrible. Um, you know, it's, it's no surprise that there have been multiple documentaries that it's a cult and blah, 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 and whatever, because it was just, it was that bad. Um, I mean, now they've all, you know, kind of become Republicans or something else. And I, I don't know. And so like, if you're still in the libertarian or anarchist realm, they're not a part of the equation. So it doesn't matter. Uh, but that, that was another major factor. So there's, there's a lot going on. Um, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about that. I, I mean, I could get into kind of the age of Aquarius after 2012. Woo! That's, 
Yeah, that, that that's a whole that's a whole other the age of Horace is over. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other thing um, that we could get right. into. But if you want to talk about that's kind of where I thought you would have went with it, but uh, um yeah, that's, that's right. fine. Uh, um so so basically you're making the you're not making an argument, but you're you're saying that the space exists for these ideas now, where it would before all the oxygen in the room was sucked out by yep nerds, basically like a <laughs> yeah. uber uber logical, like permanently online, uh, you know, Molyneux supporters or whatever the thing, yep. you know, where yep, and that is were, a dated little idea. That is a very dated ideological subset, and they're they you're right, they're gone. Very abrasive, dissolved. Yeah. They've dissolved into other things, like you said. Yep. But that, yeah, that was a very that's very out that's very dated. It's not there's not this hyper rational objectivist kind of dealing anymore. Not from that sector. They're just something else now. Yeah. So, uh, you think that part of the war we're fighting, we're we we'll say, has a mystical component to it. And honestly, whatever I say, mystical war, I'm reminded of the. Um, well, a couple of things. There's a white zombie lyric that's like "Into the Psychic War," and then there's uh, vet- <laughs> "Veterans of the Psychic Wars" by uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Obviously, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm saying obviously. Nobody listening to this knows who the fuck Blue Oyster Cult even is, but I'm old. No clue, except for the yeah, cowbell. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they'll know Godzilla, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um. Anyway, what well, fuck? I forgot where I was going. Oh, so there's a this is a mystical war in some sense. Now, I've also heard you make the argument that a lot of uh, institutions of power and also Hollywood, which is saying the same thing, um, are run by cults. Is this kind of what you mean by the uh, mystical war? Is there a a war of cults in some sense um, that runs everything behind the scenes, like sort of the hidden hand? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think ironically one of the best ex- or one of the one of the best but lowest key examples of this uh are you guys familiar with the cartoon metalocalypse i know yeah. it i've only seen an episode or two yeah yeah okay so very funny cartoon it's about a metal band anyway like this metal band is one of the largest like the metal band alone is um one of like the the largest economies in the world, just the metal band, <laughs> like the, you know they're that they're just that great, and so all the yeah, world death powers, clock. yeah, death clock, yeah, and so all the world powers are trying to stop death clock, and they're trying to find ways to like off the band and keep them from having just such a tremendous effect um, on the world, and when they go to like the, the the secret meeting of the powers that be that are trying to stop death clock. One of them, it's usually, it's like a guy's in suits. It's the president of the United States and whatever else. But one of them is a Sumerian priest, a guy wearing like the Sumerian garb, like Sumer, you know, Anunnaki, all that. Whoa. And, holy yeah. shit. You talk right. about like, uh, what do you call that? Uh, occult messaging, messaging or whatever. Holy shit. Right. Super deep cut. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's a, weird. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty absurdist cartoon too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, like, I think with that part, it's so on point, like that there is just like, oh, you know who, okay, who are these guys listening to? Oh, there's some Sumer- like Sumerian priest, you know, or, and like who clearly is carried down from some, you know, Sumerian priesthood uh, like that, that kind of hits the nail on the head. I think um, in that a lot of these cults now, while some of them, you know, could be more modern uh, concepts. I do think a lot of them are continuations 
of groups that have been around for an incredibly long time. Um, there's a there's a great book called The Secret Founding of America that I recommend to people. It's not perfect. Great book. Great book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, great book. And and it talks about how like there was really a the battle for America wasn't actually the Revolutionary War. It wasn't you know George Washington versus King George. It was actually the Catholics versus the Freemasons yep. versus you know like a couple of other groups. Okay. Um, you know, and like Protestants and whatever else. And there was, there was genuine, a cultural war going on, um, you know, for like the direction that this new land would go in. Um, and the Freemasons ultimately won. Um, I mean, well, again, it's not like it stopped necessarily, you know, I mean, it is kind of odd. I've always found it odd that, you know, you look at Washington DC and then you look at Vatican city and they look incredibly similar in design. Um, but regardless of that, uh, certainly the Catholic church is one of these cults, you know, and they have been around for an incredibly long time, obviously. Uh, and we could certainly get into conversations if they're a continuation of something from even before, you know, a, a character of Jesus Christ might have, ex uh, existed, but regardless, yeah, there, there, this has been going on for a very long time. Um, to say that somehow it stopped out of nowhere in the 20th century is, is ludicrous, you know, just because like marketing spin got better, uh, and the media got better at effectively hiding, you know, that these groups are out there and constantly, you know, battling with each other. I mean, even within the Freemasons, like you have wildly, there's, there's many different types of Freemasons in Switzerland. They're different than they are in the rest of the world. You have York, right? Scottish, right? Whatever, you know, and, and these people go through at varying times, literal civil wars, but you don't know. You, and, and I mean, you can look it up and you can find out about it, but most people have no idea that this sort of thing is going on. Um, it's the same thing, yeah. like, or go ahead, Penguin. There was, people definitely did, were aware of these kind of things before because there was like a strong anti-Freemason movement and there was like an anti-Freemason party and stuff. I don't know anything about it, but clearly that, that shows that, that people were like very aware of what this thing is and that it existed. Yeah, no, it, oh. it's actually in New Hampshire, like in 1786, there was a massive, like they were terrified that Freemasons were like running everything, you know, like, I mean, again, people knew this stuff was going on. What do you got sick? So this, this was, this brought up in my head, the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. So that was, okay. a, this was a reminder. So, all right, I'm going to actually take a weird materialist position on this. So. All right, uh, let's let's rewind back to Sec as a young teenager, and he's screaming about how the Freemasons and the Illuminati, they run the world, mm -hmm. they're behind the scenes of everything from Hollywood to politics. It's all the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians and the Illuminati and this and that. Yep. So at a certain point, I had this, like, call it a, an epiphany, but it was just a slight, like, shift in my perspective <clears throat> on this. And so... It's not so much that the Freemasons run the world and are the people in power, but it's the people in power that run the world are Freemasons. Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. that sounds like I'm saying nothing, but like, okay, let's go back to the, the, the Bavarian Illuminati. Mm -hmm. What type of person at that time could afford to be a member of the Illuminati and get a classical liberal, liberal education have the means to sit around in a think tank all the time. It's who was it? Upper middle, you know, very upper class aristocrats, right? 
Sure. So like couple this with another point. When I am comfortable monetarily, I start to look for things outside of myself. Like mm-hmm. I want to invest myself in the community and, uh, you know, find other things and, and, uh, that benefit the work, you know, things around me and, um, do various uh, charitable works and et cetera. As soon as my money is right, you know, as long as my money's good and I'm taken care of, I start looking for things beyond my own personal monetary gain. Yep. Well, who these people that are in elite classes are the same as me. They just have more fucking money. So once they get to a certain point where you got more money than God, you start to look for things like bigger than yourself. So that's it. You know, that leads you into things like weird fraternal orders and trying to remake the fucking world in your image and whatever. So it's not so much that like, I don't think like Freemasons run the world, but Mm -hmm. the people that run the world, the elite classes of people are just like us in the sense that they want to go change the fucking world or join fraternal orders or communities or whatever the thing. And so like at the time of the Illuminati, you had a bunch of rich kids basically who wanted to do all these like grandiose plans and make this fraternal order and whatever the thing. And so I, I had a point and I lost it, but basically it's the class of people that would be attracted to things like that, like the Freemasons or like the Rosicrucians or like the Shriners or like sure. the Illuminati. It's like they are the ones that would be in the position to be able to join fraternal orders like that or actually make change on a, a like giant social engineering plans. So it's not even so much that they're guided by the mysticism so much it's that they have the money and power. And then because they have all the money and power that they could ever want in a million lifetimes, they look for things uh, like some sort of weird community where they can rub rub elbows with other rich people. And that ends up being things like the Freemasons or the Illuminati or, um, you know, pick, pick your poison, the, the, the uh, Thule society and the Nazi Germany, whatever the thing is. Um, So what do you think about that? Is that, does that, makes well, real sense. quick or yeah go, go ahead, ahead. Real quick, it, it seems like it seems like that's just it's almost like it's just the fraternal societies for that class of people which is what you're saying they basically there's there there are fraternal societies you know throughout society for, throughout different classes for the for the working class for the craftsmen for the this and the that and this is the this is that for the basically the elites yeah, yeah basically yeah yeah so so yeah so let's talk about the illuminati for a second and this, I think, will kind of answer your question, Sec. Um, I don't think the Illuminati were bad people. Uh, I don't think that, I, I, in fact, even largely, like if you look up, especially from conspiracy theorists, what the goals were for the Illuminati, I don't yeah, think I, I, have, or liber- or I have similar goals. Yeah, no, right, I have similar exactly. goals. The Illuminati. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, well, sure, that's great. You know, <laughs> like, actually, Brian, um, yeah, you know, since I haven't, like, um, delves as deep into this um mm-hmm. and, and uh, listen to these conversations as such and for the sake of our listeners maybe you can can you go into kind of what the origins of the actual illuminati are not I it's mean, basically classical familiar with the concept i mean yeah, yeah i mean and i know i can tell the name is I guess italian for illuminated and other mm-hmm. than that besides the popular vague conception of the illuminati you know the elites controlling the, the world from yeah. the top 
from the heights of society. What 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 are actually the Illuminati proper? I know you 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 recently mentioned the Bavarian Illuminati and stuff. Or, you know, let me see if I can things. remember because it's been a long time. But they wanted to democratize society. They wanted uh, universal suffrage. They wanted to eliminate the church as a uh, institutional power and remove it from politics. Uh, a couple other things. Generally, like classical liberal tenets. There, there's nothing okay. well, crazy about the original Illuminati. Yeah. What so, place in what um, what time? This would be in, originally in Germany or Bavaria. Right. Yeah. So we're talking like the 18th century when this would start. Okay. And you have a particular okay, figure. before the French Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the main figure here would be Adam Weishaupt, who was, was friends with Jefferson. In, by the way. What's that? Uh, Adam Weissop was friends with Thomas Jefferson, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So he was born in like 1750, somewhere around there, 1750, 1740, something. Um, and he would live until about 1830. Uh, the, in fact, um, Raw, Robert Anton Wilson, would have a funny conspiracy theory that Adam Weishaupt was actually George Washington. Um, or turn that around. Anyway, whatever. So Adam Weishaupt would, who not uninterestingly uh, was trained as as a you know young person uh as a jesuit um would later become a freemason and through freemasonry i mean and this speaks to what sack was talking about through free freemasonry you would get this fraternity right and you would have these very wealthy guys as many freemasons were at the time because they were the ones that actually had the time and ability to have secret meetings at whatever lodge they happened to do this at and Adam Weishaupt would essentially say, well, Freemasonry isn't necessarily enough. And there's understanding for that because a lot of lodges would still have to pay fealty to whatever monarchy existed at the time to some degree. And Weishaupt, and this was really the goal of the, and uh, SEC, you know, hit it a lot of this, you know, Weishaupt or the Illuminati, the Bavarian Illuminati, which is really the start of the Illuminati as we understand it, is kind of still gets talked about by conspiracy theorists today. Um, you know, his whole, it seems like their whole thing was, we need to get rid of the monarchy. We want to be able to rise to the highest heights, but because we don't have royal blood or because we're not in the church or whatever, we can't do that. And so they wanted to level the, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to, I know everybody loves thinking of the Illuminati as being like, you know, the one eye in the pyramid. They wanted to level the pyramid. They really did. Um, the one goal, uh, like, I don't think I could lay off, all, lay, like, spew out all of their goals right off the top of my head here. But the one goal that some people want to take umbrage with that I understand is the idea that they wanted compulsory education for children away from the family. Um, there's some nuance and debate around that one. And certainly I wouldn't really, you know, I, I would take umbrage with that as well. Um, but it's not like they wanted to. I think what happens is, is that a lot of Christians read, you know, like Weishaupt or Illuminati conspiracy stuff about how they're against the family. The thing is, they're, they're not like against the family. They're against family lineage. They're against family lines because that's what leads to monarchy. And that was kind of, the, that was their problem with that. Okay. Um, well, it seems so, like they're, go ahead. They're early, uh, they're early bourgeois, early bourgeois liberals, like mm -hmm. basically a sec implied. And so they're, they're coming in, they're coming up against the, vestiges or like the dying really the vestiges of 
No, this is this is still in the time of, of some absolute monarchy for sure. So they're in in an age of absolute monarchy and, and various types of monarchies and uh, nob- noble aristocracies and stuff. So, uh, vestiges of feudalism, I should say. So, um, but long after the actual medieval period, but you know that area where there were there was a large bourgeois there uh, there was you know the, the beginning of the scientific revolution and and mm-hmm. rational thought and and, and and liberal ideas and they're they're coming into that classic i guess 18th century conflict kind of class conflict between the uh, the upstart bourgeois and the um the actual nobility and i guess people that don't aren't familiar with i guess history from that period uh, when they hear the term bourgeois they might be familiar of you know marxist class theory to, from a from the subsequent century, real, not realizing the bourgeois were the upstarts, um, s- certainly, certainly the, you know, people that own the means of production in, in the in the 19th century, in the age of industrialization, and past past really the age of um, of monarchies and absolutism. But in this period of time, of course, this was kind of when that class balance was shifting away from uh, hereditary nobility and and also from. Um, not medieval ideas, but kind of what was left of medieval ideas and from the Renaissance period and stuff. Yeah. So you have, I mean, this is stuff that all comes out of the enlightenment, not unlike the American revolution, not unlike the French revolution, not unlike, you know, many, I mean, the world was changing. That's the word I was missing. The enlightenment. Yeah. 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 In the 18th century, like, all of this stuff is coming out of that. And one of the key points to come out of the Enlightenment, and you can read this in the writings of Francis Bacon, even his posthumous ones like the New Atlantis, was that, aha, we understand how the universe works now. And we can make a perfect society. Okay, now that's not even necessarily new. Romans had The Romans had some very similar ideas um, about like perfect societies. In fact, there's even one emperor who wanted to create a little province where they had this Neoplatonic perfect city. There you um, go, Platonic. I was going to say Greeks. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Neoplatonism is a huge deal. That that could be a whole episode on its own. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so the Illuminati, uh, you know, come out of this, and uh, I think that, and and I'm trying I'm trying to remember exactly what sex question was about about the whole matter. But the point being is that like. This was a group, this was a cult that wanted power for itself, and it did whatever it needed to, to level the playing field and allow them to rise in power. Did they succeed? Uh, Yeah, I think so, because, you know, outside of Britain, not many of us are given two shits about any royalty, uh, you know, in in the world. Um, Well, anyway, we we could talk about... (laughs) the Windsors all day long too. That's a whole other, you know, uh, uh, situation, but, um, what do you got sec? The, the house of sex Gotha. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. So you might actually be, we might be agreeing here. So like, Hmm. hmm, so the intent intended reasons for starting that group, I, you and I, I don't think anybody here would necessarily disagree with, right? I would have joined up in a heartbeat. Yeah, sure. Here's the thing. So at that time, okay, this might be just a problem with organization. It's like mm-hmm. uh, organization theory. So like in order to actually make the changes that they wanted to see in the way that they wanted to do so, like through like political means, you need political power. 
And again, who, what class of people were all these people? They're, they're wealthy elites. Most of them are the sons of wealthy elites. So they had the, the power to ex actually execute these things. And I think you're right. I think they had played a part in eroding the power of uh, the monarchies in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. I think the pinnacle of that being World War I, when all the, the monarchies of Europe... Um, so here's the thing, like, okay, uh, let me give you a, a, a different examples to kind of like Lenin and Trotsky wanted to uplift the proletariat and all sorts of things. And that was their stated goals. But what hap actually happened when they got into power is an entirely fucking different thing. Right. Right. So they might have started this organ, And this happens with organizations all the time. Uh, I think it's called Krieger's Law, if I remember mm. correctly. So like. Eventually, when an organization becomes a certain size and power, it becomes more about furthering the organization rather than the stated goals of the organization. And then you see this happen a lot. So I think a similar thing happened with yes. the Illuminati is once they yes. sort of use their power and influence, the they kind of forgot maybe. I don't even know if they forgot, but the, the reasons why they created the organization in the first place were second or, secondary to furthering the organization itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because we don't so, have like the the church still has a lot of power. The people have less power than they probably ever ever have, right? So it's yeah. like uh, they're if they're not they they're not entirely exercising, um, or not entirely bringing into fruition the the original stated goals, right? Yeah, um, I think they they fell off the mark, like or, or you know fell off the rails ran off the rails. There we go. Ran off the rails a long time ago. Um, and this happens, I mean, and, and, and like you said, kind of like Krieger's law, like, like this just happens by nature. Um, for example, you know, like, are there, are there things that could be called mystical that could help you say, become more wealthy? Uh, yes. Like that could, that could bring you more money. Yes. Um, what often happens though, when someone actually becomes more wealthy is that the, I mean, cause look like wealth and money, I mean, this stuff's like, it's invisible or, I mean, it's not invisible. Like it, it doesn't really exist. It's an idea. It's a shared concept. It's a shared idea, right? It's a very mental thing, even though it has real world effects. It, you know, we all kind of know it's BS like Bitcoin kind of called that ball, you know, <laughs> like, like Bitcoin just said, yeah, you know, if you think about money hard enough, everything can be money. So it's both everything and nothing. Um, now, when a person like, say, you know, goes through this process, through the mentality or whatever to get to that point, uh, what happens is they become very comfortable. Right. Uh, in fact, for a quick cultural reference, you lose the eye of the tiger. OK, when you actually get the power, like you lose the hunger and for what it took to keep it. And when that happens, like decadence can settle in. And I don't mean the good kind of decadence. And you ultimately end up like you fear creeps in and I'm being, this is unfortunately incredibly abbreviated because there's a lot to talk about around this whole thing that has to do with mindset and um, not the law of attraction, but you know, maybe something that people would, would, would think was similar anyway. Like I'm talking will, about grind set. What is it? I'm talking about grind set. Grind set. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like that grind set. Yeah. Um, and so, right. So what ends up happening is, okay, you achieve your goals. Like, let's say the Illuminati achieve their goals. And then it's like, well, then what, you know, and then all it is, all it becomes about is just harboring and trying to keep that power. Um, 
And when you're doing that, that comes with a sense of fear. And so I think, you know, you're, you're, even if your goals were noble, they get perverted and twisted by the fear of losing what you've gained. Um, and I mean, you can see this with, I mean, everybody talks about this with like, uh, I don't know, some guy has a rags to riches story becomes an insane billionaire. They have kids and the kids just take the wealth for granted and don't think twice about it. And, you know, they don't have the same respect for what it took, you know, that, that, that grind set, they, they don't have that. Um, and so they end up becoming, I don't know, Hunter Biden or something, who knows, whatever. But point being that these, you know, like we're talking about descendants of these groups who have forgotten perhaps the whole reason that it started, what it took to get there and really are just all about staying in power now. And when you're trying, again, when you're trying to stay in power, a lot of times people will do just about anything, lie, cheat, steal the whole business. Um, so I don't know if I'm like, I mean, this is kind of stuff that I, I don't think I've ever really said out loud before. So uh, I hope I'm doing an okay job in explaining it, but does anyone have any thoughts on, on any of that? We're all getting accused of being Illuminati shills just for the record. That's kind yeah, of yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I'm covering one eye here. I'm, you know, I'm right on. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Jew already, so I, I'm, I've been screwed my whole life. I know he's a Jew. He's promoting the uh, the fall of Western Illuminati, civilization. The fall of Western civilization. You know, I'm telling you, he might be a reptile too. I don't know. Oh boy. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. Illuminati yeah. confirmed. <laughs> no, but I think this is a a more balanced and nuanced take of uh sort of elite analysis, and mm -hmm. even even taking into account and being open to the idea that you know, cults and secret societies rule the world. It, um, I think this is much better than, I don't know, pick your, your conspiracy person. who's like, Oh, they run everything and this and that and whatever. And even if, uh, you know, I do, there's definitely truth to that, but I think we here right now are having a much more balanced and nuanced take than even than, than most that would uh, entertain these ideas. We'll say, yeah. I mean, I want to just say quick, and, and I've said this many times on my own show. I mean, the single most important takeaway that I ever want anybody to have from these kind of conversations is there is no new world order. There might be new world orders. There might be plural. There might be groups, multiple groups that want to achieve different goals, but you know, that look kind of the same in the end, but there's not just like one group that that's doing all like that. That's just, that's insane. You know, and there's no logic to that either. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Cause well, speaking will, of new world one agenda. Sure. Right. There's clearly not just yeah. one agenda. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So people talk about the new world order as if it's a group and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not, it never was. I don't know where that came from. So if you go back and you like search, it's the a origin, wrestling show. Yeah. Right. It was, it, 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 it was yeah. Hulk Hogan. It was uh, yeah, Scott <laughs> Hall, Kevin Nash. <laughs> exactly. No, it's uh, a paradigm shift in some sense. It's a, a new, um, it's a it's the post world uh, it's the post war era, okay. So like previously during wars okay, well, in Europe, before you before you go on, when did it get on the dollar bill? Nova um, order order seclorum or what? No, no, Nova oh, order seclorum or whatever. New world order in Latin. I, that's I, 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 okay. So that's a wrong, that's a Masonic thing. That's been on the. I don't know how long that's been on the dollar, right. but a long time. And of course, the Illuminati pyramid. I mean. That's sure. Not, yeah. But uh, the, um, the, the term new world order. Okay. So previous to world war one, 
the, the elites in Europe would have wars with each other and it was no big deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. They'd send the peasants to go fight. A lot of times they were the the monarchs or whoever else, the uh, uh, nobles or whatever, they would send their peasants to go fight each other just because they were getting too uppity, right? right. So there was no, there was not really mu- as much of a chance, especially coming up towards World War One, of like, your entire city being firebombed and all your wealth evaporating, right? Yeah, I mean, but, often it was actually, often it was actually just nobles and maybe yeah, the out in, whatever out in open the fields middle and class. Stuff. Yeah, often it was there were no peasants even involved. And sometimes they didn't even want a lot of the times in the medieval period they didn't even want peasants involved. It was literally, you know, uh, the privilege of privilege and I guess duty of nobility just to go fight, and they would leave the farming peasants out of it as much as oh, possible. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean peasants. Crazy. I meant lower lower classes. We'll say lower classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could also, have, of course, have like peasant levies and stuff. But yeah, no, that definitely changed in, throughout the entire... Uh, I mean, they had to invent nationalism before nationalism. I don't even think people understand it. Before nationalism not being the concept of like... Uh, people for some reason seem to uh, 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 make an equivalency between nationalism and fascism for some reason but nationalism is just the idea that people actually believe they're part of a nation that has things in common didn't exist before the like 1820s 30s 40s for the most part certainly like the idea that uh i always saw it was really interesting um a a big critique of like uh of the movie braveheart which is one of the most historically inaccurate like pieces of garbage in, in that sense ever made the idea that all those people would care that they were Scottish and being impressed by English, they wouldn't give a damn because they have no concept of that. They live in they live by the clans. They have no concept of a, of a Scottish nation, and neither did anybody on this earth because uh, they, you know, I mean, there were city states, and maybe there was a democratic city state of Athens, and th- th- there were maybe hints at the concept, but um, the idea of uh, of nationalism was necessary for basically the entirety of the. The modern, not the early modern, but the modern state. Yeah, it really yeah, came about in like the the late eighteen hundreds was like when you saw the rise of the actual like a, a nation state. Yeah, um, I mean the the nations were based on it was the re- nation of the the ruler and his his vassal, you know, nobles. It was, it was you didn't give it. It was just another. If you were a president, it was just another you know guy on horseback with fancy jewelry on. And if he, if he came in and somebody else's army came in and be a different guy, you had to pay your, you know, 40% of your grain to. Right. Like uh, yeah. France and Germany, like they weren't nation state, even nation states to like the late 1800s. And before that, it was just like a collection of like city states. You know what I mean? Yeah. All, you all mean, yeah. A, great, a great centralization and stamping out of like, you know, dozens of uh local languages and dialects that are right. all, some so in some cases completely lost to history for sure yeah i mean so the, like nationalism comes out of you know a lot of it comes out of the concept of citizenship citizenship you know had a rise and actually finally meant something in ancient rome but then you had the dark ages and effectively this idea wouldn't come back until napoleon and everybody was running off of napoleon's art of war as far as the rule book and that that leads to this idea of nationalism and citizenship and all that. that. Really so, you guys are totally right. Fascinated. Yeah. I am yeah. fascinated by this whole period because there's so much I, I mean, obviously there's a bit I know, but mm-hmm. there's so much I don't know about that. Like, and like Prussia what is, ramped what was, it up. What was Napoleon's deal? Was he an Illuminati? I mean, what did they, I, did they have an opinion of him? Was he well, not a Ro, Rosicrucian? Wait a minute. Hold on. So, I mean, what, what I will say <laughs> is Napoleon 
was definitely a mystic. Um, and his stop, his very infamous stop in Egypt, um, had a lot going for it. And I think he definitely, he had, I mean, he admits as much, as much as he wants to admit, but he had an experience at, at the pyramids. Um, and, and I do think it was like a mystical one. Uh, and he suggests as much as well in his own, in his own writings. Um, but I mean, Napoleon like came up with so many wild ideas. I mean, you think of, for example, like we we're talking about what, why people went to war. I know we're kind of off of sex point, but just quick, like, why did people, you know, why would people even be willing, you know, why would the nobility or why would anybody be willing to go to war? Now, normally when the nobility would go to war, they'd be given title, lands, all kinds of stuff, right? Like really tangible things. Napoleon figured out that, no, 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 you don't have to give them anything. Just give them these medals that make them look impressive to women. And these guys will go and, and they'll die free all day long. Oh, and yeah, so, they like, did the whole, do a lot of medals. Yeah. Right. So that, that's his, and, and you can kind of read about this in actually War is a Racket by Smedley Butler. He talks about this with Napoleon as well, that like the idea that, oh, medals were enough and rank was enough. That's wholly out of Napoleon's playbook. Um, and everybody basically copied him. And, you know, let's be clear. Napoleon was the most successful as far as conqueror was the most successful conqueror outside of Alexander the Great. I mean, we think of him as a loser because of Waterloo, but quite the opposite. Like this guy was owning ass, you know, for most of his life. And came up with a lot. I mean, there's there's a reason he was able to do that, and that's because he really innovated a lot in the you know both the art of war and I mean he also you know kind of wrote a book about it. But yeah, so what was anyway, his Zach, what do you got? angle? What was his real quick? Well, what was his angle? What was he uh, you know transformed the the legal codes and governance structures of Europe? Was he? I mean, he wasn't a revolutionary. He was part of the counter you know counter revolution, I guess, but. What was no, his I angle? Was he was, it, a, was, he was a revolution within the form. He was absolutely a revolution within the form. He he okay. almost single-handedly created what we would call like the corporate body or like the modern mm -hmm. nation state. Like yes, he is the 100%. beginning of the the nation state. And yes, that was a counter-revolution, but I mean, I would say so was the constitution in the United States. But Napoleon was absolutely the 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 the, the proto nation state and then the prussians who lost to him mirrored him and a lot actually a lot of what we because they lost they they mirrored uh napoleon and ramped it up to 11 and i think a lot of what we saw after that was actually based off of like the prussian model of the modern modern nation state yeah i mean but, it, yeah, it was rome yeah. repeated it really was ancient yeah, rome just yeah. in full repeat because remember he started off as the consul for the french republic and yep. it wasn't until much later in his life that he said, Oh, make me the emperor, you know, yep. like, like that, the idea of him becoming emperor, that wasn't originally part of the plan. Um, or at least it wasn't his original thinking back in the day. He was all about, yeah, French Republic. I mean, it all sounded, I mean, that's part of why his ideas sold, right? Because it sounded like it was going to help the common person. Um, but then, you know, power corrupts. Uh, so on the Freemason thing, uh, there is no documentation about whether he was a Freemason. There is a lot of pic depictions of him making Masonic symbols, and all of his family was Freemasons. Uh, Napoleon, just for the record, just to answer your question. There's no documentation that proves it one way or another, but his wife also was in the Woman's Lodge, and all of his brothers, and it looks like uh, his sons were all Freemasons. Um, so take that for what you want, but... Uh, yeah, and well, also and, 22 of his 30 marshals were all Masons as well. 
Yeah. I mean, and I will add in like, again, his expedition to Egypt. Yes, there's the deal with Syria and everything, but his expedition to Egypt, um, I think that had absolutely occult goals uh, behind it. I mean, we could say not unlike the Nazis, but, you know, we don't want to go to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So back to real. Let me finish the New World Order. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick. So. All right. So World War One happens. And now, so there was um, there was talk before World War One from various people about creating a, and these it was not for malicious reasons, right? Mm-hmm. It it was about creating like international institutions and sort of a, a homogenized uh, uh, international economic system, mainly so things would like run smoother, right? So th- yep. after World War One, uh the elites of Europe were like, holy shit, our wealth just fucking evaporated and was burned to the ground and all this kind of stuff. Like, this is a new kind of warfare, right? Uh, that was like destroying and it was just all like nothing the world had ever seen before World War One. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ability to afflict violence and damage was like uh, was like no other. And so they were watching like their cities burn to the fucking ground and be bombed and whatever. And you had airplanes or whatever else. And so the elites or uh we're like, holy shit. No, we can't like have this. Like it was fine. Warfare was fine before. And we were making good money on warfare before. Now it's actually a threat to us. Right. So we need yeah. to set up some sort of like uh mediation system so we can all kind of, uh you know, this doesn't happen kind of again. And you had the League of Nations. It really well, wasn't for nefarious reasons. It was for somewhat like self-interested reasons on in the terms of the elite. But they wanted to set up like a singular economic system and a banking system that would service the whole world and and whatever. So, but Cecil, okay, so there's two camps within this. One was the Cecil Rhodes camp who wanted to reunify Britain and uh, the United States and the world would be run under what he called the the Anglo-American Empire. So the U.S. and the Britain would run the world and we'd have one. And he really, he's like, we'll uplift the whole world and all this kind of bullshit. And then there was the other one that was like, we should have a world run under something like the United Nations. Now, after World War II, that just happened, right? Like, we have more or less... The U.S. and the Britain have global hegemony, and also we have uh, an international body that mitigates these things, and also uh, we have an inter uh, an international economic order, right? And we we have what's called a liberal, you know, w- rules based world order. This already happened. The idea of, like the new world order is coming, it already came. It just happened. That's the paradigm that we're in. You know what I mean? It's not a group that's trying to like nefariously bring on world government. It is just the post-war paradigm that we are in. That is what the new world order is. So when George Bush senior was talking about this new world order or whatever the thing, he he's really just referencing, like we have an international system. All of these countries are so interlocked and all a part of the same economic system to where that we can't have a war warfare like world war two ever again, or we all fucking suffer. Right. Yeah. So um, that's what the that's what the new world order is. Now, you might say that this is like a good or a bad thing. I happen to think that it is a bad thing, but it's not some like it's not a secret group. 
that's trying to bring about a certain agenda. There's probably people that are trying to further this paradigm and make it more true, but it already happened. It happened after World War One, and it happened uh, even more. It was cemented after World War Two, And that's just where we are in history is this new world order. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, well, I want to I want to add in, I mean, because a lot and, and I think this is very unfair for people to do because they will say and you can pick your generation. Everybody blames the last generation. But really, especially in like libertarian anarchist circles, there's a lot of blame on like the bulk of the people of the 20th century. Why didn't you do anything to stop this from from happening? And I think there's a lack of understanding as to. As to why people didn't necessarily stop it. Yes, there were vocal anti-war groups, even during World War I, very vocal ones, in fact, that basically history wants to try and erase, or those who write the history books want to try and erase. But, you know, you're coming out of, with the beginning of the 20th century, okay, you are coming out of what's called, at least in the U.S. and other parts of the world, called the gay 90s. Now, doesn't mean everybody was, you know, butt-fucking, would be fine if they were, but the gay nineties. Okay. Uh, which w it's called that cause it's happy, right? It was such an amazing time or in Britain, they called it the naughty nineties. Um, like life was incredible in the 1890s, like not uninterestingly, much like the 1990s that or you know, that, that we recently experienced life was pretty damned amazing. So a lot of these things happen out of that. People are like, wow, this is incredible. And they think that their leaders are behind it because that's just the way of thinking, you know, um, part of the reason people dealt with feudalism for so long. And so, you know, even if these ideas and, you know, one of the classic books, even though it has plenty of problems, um, G. Edward Griffin's, you know, Creature on Jekyll Island, right? Um, you know, he pulls from open documents where these guys were telling you what they were going to do. Like, wasn't even, it wasn't even a, a, you know, it wasn't like even that hidden, right? In fact, I could even imagine myself, uh, I'm going to incriminate myself again. I could imagine myself being on Jekyll Island in, you know, whatever, 1911, 1913 or something. And listening to these guys and being like, oh, yeah, guys, great idea. You want, you want to bring everybody up? You want, you know, you want the, the world to be this great and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it probably would have sounded even attractive to, you know, to me. Um, so the idea, and I love what you're bringing up here, Sec, ultimately, is the idea that somehow this was all meant to be malicious, that this was all bad. I'm not saying it couldn't have been kind of like we were talking about earlier, how these things get perverted over time. That clearly happened, I think. But, you know, it was coming out of what people saw a lot of positive change. And compared to the previous hundred years, it sure as fuck was positive change. And so they're like, yeah, let, let's keep trying. Let's keep going. This experimentation, this new way of living is really working. It is taking us out of, uh, you know, like 99% poverty, right? Like, I mean, it's taking us out of the, uh, you know, the mud pits and everything like this is, this is phenomenal. Um, so yeah. Why didn't people stop this? Because it was so much better than what they knew. Life was so much better at the time than what they had known previously. Uh, so of course they were accepting of it. And I, it's kind of hard to blame them for that and to not have the foresight of Skynet appearing in the future, you know, <laughs> like, like why would they think that, you know, life was great. Um, and yeah, you wanted stability after world war, world war one and you wanted all of this anyway. Uh, what else we got? <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. And, and it's just, um, you know, at the end of the day, the power, uh, the problem resides in that, there is people with enough power to make these things happen in the first place, mm -hmm. like good, good mm -hmm. or bad. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, if you have like a group of people who have the ability to 
make plans or agendas good or bad that can change the fucking world this is a problem like uh, um it's always going to be a problem you know the power is going to corrupt eventually so um mm-hmm. even if they have the best of intention to begin with um that's going to change once they ha- you know start ex- exercising their power or their like you said your, your their children come to power or whatever the yeah. thing um so and then here we are and that's been i think that's been i think that's been human history since for at least the last you know nine ten thousand years so um let's uh how much more time you got brian uh yeah i I could go a little longer i could go maybe another 20 30 minutes okay what does um all right let's uh circle back to the the mystical war like what is what is that could you elaborate like on that what does that look like and what are what are the factions at play i guess sure uh well i mean there's there's probably next to i mean the best term for how many factions are in play i would say countless um you know that that doesn't mean that there's that many but you know who who really knows um because if they've done it right you know like like the old saying what's the best conspiracy the one you don't know about. Um, and that, that should always be the answer. So there's plenty of groups I'm sure that are out there that will never know the names. will never know that they're a thing because they've been doing it right for anywhere from the past five years to 500, you know, or 5,000 even who knows. Um, there with, with the mystical war, I think, let me interrupt you one real quick. Yeah, please. I'm going to, I'm going to bolster your point. Cause I was screaming sure. about the Freemasons as a, a young lad. And then like mm-hmm. a few years later, I saw like a bunch of like uh, biographies or episode um, series on the uh, history channel about the Freemasons. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I was wrong. There's no way. Like if they're talking about it on the fucking history channel, there, there's nothing going on there. You yeah. know what I mean, like uh, there would, if I, if, if I was right about the Freemasons running everything, they wouldn't be talking about it on the history channel. So whoever's actually running things, I don't know their name because right. You know what I mean? So like, uh, there's no way that that those two things can't be true. So I had to like sort of drop and re refigure what I was actually thinking there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think in general, you only find out about these groups after they've won. Um, Part of the reason the Illuminati I think was successful in a lot of its goals. And again, its goals were not, you know, like the winning doesn't have to be, Oh, we converted the entire world or something like that is that we know about them now, you know? Uh, well also, I mean, they were part of like the electorate in Germany anyway, so it's not like you wouldn't have known they weren't that secret. Um, but regardless, yes, your point is right on. I think usually if you do know about it, it's usually because they either won, uh, maybe it could be because they lost, but bottom line is they either won or they don't, they're out of power, whatever that happens to be. Um, so, what a lot of this, I mean, and you can be an open group though. And that, that actually speaks to the Catholic church, because I think a lot of power ultimately comes down to attention. Um, and I don't think that it is, it's not a coincidence that much of the technology we deal with right now is all about stealing our attention. Much of everything getting churned out in our present economy is about taking your attention away. It's about keeping you from thinking about what, and it doesn't have to be malicious. You know, it could be something as simple as something I love. It could be about Star Wars, right? Like, I mean, there's so much Star Wars shit that comes out every freaking day. Like, you know, if you want to see everything Star Wars, like, all right, say, say goodbye to your life, you know? Um, and my point in that is power comes from what you give your attention to. 
that doesn't even have to be mystical. That, that, that could be a very, you know, uh, scientific materialist idea, but I would argue there's mystical aspects to it as well. Um, and I mean, we could pull quotes from Nikola Tesla from all, all kinds of people about this, but anyway, we, we won't go there for, for this. Um, like part of the reason I think that the Catholic church still exists is because it is an open organization that effectively does harvest the attention and thought of, you know, over a billion people around the world. Um, so it's still here as to where other groups, not so much, you know, and even like say with the Freemasons, why didn't the Freemasons, you know, or like part of it has to do with being a secret society. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> this is, this is tough stuff to talk about, but uh, my point is that so much of today is about stealing your attention towards something, um, whether it's to buy a Toyota, just to bring, bring, th and I do think that there are groups, but like some of the things that people attribute to like a new world order really could just be some, you know, like agency wanting to sell Toyotas. And that's really all that it comes down to. Not all of this has to be malicious. Some people have very simple goals, even though they figure out shall we say the mystical concepts that allow them to, or, or that will, you know, bring the end result that they want. Um, so as far as like the groups out there again, like, I don't know that there is like a, a singular group that's trying to like conquer the entire planet, like to, to, to run the entire world. Um, there's books I've talked about in previous into the void episodes that I think have uh, tremendous uh, historical research behind them. Um, that do suggest there are groups that, yeah, like their goal is they want to make the entire planet earth. They need to make the entire planet earth presentable to their God, whoever that God happens to be so that that God will finally come down and sit with them and give them the, you know, mystical nobility, uh, you know, that, that, that would allow them to have the, the life that they've always wanted or, you know, whatever that happens to be. Um, so you mean like what do we Protestant? got on that? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Protestants. I mean, Jews get get levied at this one too. You know, like with the Messianic age and whatever. Uh, but yeah, the Protestants. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the the argument ultimately for me that I think I brought up earlier, and and again, this is a subject I I really have not spent a ton of time talking about. So you know, the first time you like you know, it's like when you. When you have this this theory percolating in your head or you have this collection of data percolating in your head and you've never said it before, you know, and it just comes out like word vomit. I kind of feel like that's what I'm going through at the moment because this is stuff that, oh, yeah, I've been reading about it, thinking about it forever. But as far as like laying it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my life every time. Like I have right. like <laughs> I have a ton of shit that I've been going over in my head and reading up on. And then when I try to talk about it, it's just a fucking jumble fuck. Yeah, because uh, it's so it's so much information that like you didn't come to these conclusions like from one set of information. Right. You no. came to these conclusions from like a vast variety of different, you know, material and resources and whatever else. So it's like, well, I got to tell you about this. And then I got to, to tell you about that. I have to tell you about this other thing and this other thing. And like, you don't know how to like explain this theory in a cohesive way. And that's just yeah. fucking my life. I don't know what's that, you know, it's just, welcome no. to, welcome yeah, to I'm going mind. through it right here as well. I, I did. So I, <laughs> I appreciate the empathy on it. Um, yeah, I guess the, so there, there are groups who have shared goals 
And I think they have somewhat of an understanding of the power that individuals have within this universe, which can be called mysticism. Um, you know, I always love to, to quote Heinlein from Stranger in a Strange Land with Thou Art God. And they recognize that they can be more powerful working together to achieve their goals. Um, but not only that, they're more powerful if they garner the attention and I'll say effectively the thoughts of others around them um, to, to help them achieve their goals. So like if you're concentrate, let, let's say, I don't know, let, let's just toss this out there for an example. I'm not saying it's hundred percent accurate, but let's toss this out. For example, uh, Disney, let's say Disney has some wild esoteric occult goals. Um, I think there's actually a lot of good evidence for this. Um, but what Disney really needs to achieve that is not only their own actions and their own money, they need more of civilization, more, more people, more of these thou art gods, more of these, you know, like concentrating on what they are interested in, what they want. And whether that's just like you loving what they're putting out there. And so you give them more money or just thinking about it more, whatever, like, like you're helping create, you know, kind of these, these, these aims. Um, you're co you're co-creating with them in a, in a very real way. Um, this is why it's so important to be ever vigilant with what you, with, with your attention, with what you give your attention to. Um, and, you know, I think like, like, uh, you know, advertisers, marketers, behavioral economists and everything like that, they've known this for an incredibly long time, you know, and they, they use it in simple ways you could say to make money, but you could also use it in ways to change culture and to change the world. Um, and again, that doesn't even have to be mystical, but I, I do think that there's a mystical aspect to it. Um, so these, what do you got, Zach? <clears throat> no, real quick, let me back you up a little bit here. It, yeah. this, okay, so a way I've put this to specifically anarchist in the past is I've I've actually left out like the mystical aspects yep. of this or magical workings or psychic vampires or whatever the thing that you want to call, yep. right? So. Uh, the way I've presented this before is uh, it's not enough that we are actively against these people, politicians, financial elites, uh, you know, the, the wealthy class, the owner class, whatever. It's not enough that we're actively against the, these people because these people just want your attention. So they want mm -hmm. your attention either in support of them. Or they want your intention, like spending all your time talking about how much you hate these people and what they're doing today. And oh, look at this other thing, they bad thing they did and whatever else. Right. They, they, they want, you know, it's just spell my name right. You know, as long as you get my all news is good news. It's just spell yeah. my name right. They, they want your attention either way, whether you're living your life or like defining your personality in your opposition to these people or mm -hmm. your or your um, um, what did I just say you're uh, defining yourself in your support of these people by being obedient they just want your attention so your best course of action as an anarchist is to actually somewhat ignore all of these people and yes. what they're doing and do what you want to do in your own life and what benefits you f solely for that reason <clears throat> so like if you start living your life uh like and just uh, spend all of your time in in your opposition to these people, you're still giving them your attention. You're still giving yes. them the, your energy. You're still living your life for these people, right? And what um, you resist persists. I mean, that's exactly. the classic line. Yes. yes. So you have to. 
we as anarchists uh, cannot define ourselves like in our opposition to the state or the greater state, uh, the, you know, all, all the owners, the politicians, all this stuff. We can't define mm-hmm. ourselves in our opposition to them either. We cannot be right. in support or in opposition. We can't we just can't grant our attention to these people at all. Um, and the reason I started saying this is for the reasons that you're laying out is I do think there's a mystical or spiritual component to this. And I think they do in certain ways, either both material materially and also uh, spiritually, they feed off of our attention and, um, our emotions as well. But, um, we, I don't even have to go that far. I can just put it in a very practical sense is you're going to inflate these people's ego just by paying attention to them. And that's what really great gives them their power. Right. So I, I just kind of, yeah. I've always explained it that way. I just left off the mis- mysticism. Cause I, I don't want to have to explain that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. Totally. I mean, if people wanted like a real world economic example, um, you know, I'm kind of notorious for being a video gamer. I mean, I'll give you a very quick example in video games. And I've always, and I've talked about this on my show before, and I've always given them a lot of credit for this. Nintendo does not literally does not care what, Sony or Microsoft does what the Xbox or the PlayStation is doing. They do not care. And they are the ones that have not been affected. If anything, they've only their, 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 uh, uh, you know, share prices, their profitability has only increased since the pandemic as to where that is not true for the other gaming companies It's because they don't care. They don't pay attention to anything else. All they care about is doing what they are doing. And that. Like, and, and I think that's a very real world example of when you, when you focus, when you truly focus, uh, you can achieve the game or the, the, the ends that you want. Um, but again, I, I, you know, like you just said, I think that there is more of a mystical component to that. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Japanese would be aware of it as well. So, um, yeah, uh, th- this is, this is, you're really hitting at it that, you know, except it, to, to me, you know, and, and, and again, we're, we're putting, I'm making statements that are the horse or the cart so far ahead of the horse, but whatever, we'll put them out there. Um, except that you are an incredibly powerful being. If you want to call yourself a God, whatever, but you are an incredibly powerful being and you giving your energy to anyone or anything else comes at a cost to you. Um, now you can do things with gratitude, but that's out of your own desire. Like if you want to help somebody, that's a very different thing because you are, um, you know, this is, this is a choice that you are making. Like that's your, that's your egoist talking, right? That's your unique talking. It's not where somebody is like, like you said, psychic vampire kind of taking away from you. Um, so it's, it's sort of my number one concern. And one of the things of why I'm willing to finally get into, because I can, you know, on my show, I can say all day long, like, look, the color red on your smartphone, the reason the notifications are red is because you're evolutionarily wired to pay attention to that color. They are tr- they are using gambling tactics against you. They are using the worst possible uh, 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 tricks that they can to just get you engaging more and more and spending more money, you know, whoever it is, Facebook, Google, Apple, name the company. They're doing it all against you. I can bring that up and it just doesn't stop anything. People just don't care. You know, like they, they don't, they don't get it. You know, why, like why this is so bad to give up on your attention, especially when they say, oh, and my life is shit. Well, no shit, because you're not living, man. Like (laughs) you're, you're, you're living for all these other companies. You're living for all these other people and you're not actively engaged in your, in the creation of your own life. And 
I don't think that people understand, like part of the reason I wanted to start espousing Kabbalah so much and espousing spirituality is because people don't get that there is that entire layer of it, which is the part that brings into your life what you actually want, not what somebody else tells you that you want. Um, and this is something that can genuinely, like I think, bring down uh, the authoritarianism that's around you, or at the very least, you know, uh, make the authoritarianism scared of you. You know, uh, and, and really, like, I believe that's genuinely possible. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's cart way ahead of the horse, but it's an important point to to bring up. So, uh, one way that certain people have have put it is, it's um, you're existing in a, a, and I hate the way they use this because they they use it to talk down to people, right? But you're mm -hmm. existing in a like a lower frequency mm -hmm. when you're when you're basically you're reactive. Um, yes to other people or stimuli around you you're not you're not exercising uh, high vibrations as the you know the new age hipsters put it right but yep um you're there is some truth to that now it, this is often used to like sort of look down on people and i'm not really into that but um because everyone is guilty of this i mean i i've yep Every one of us, even us sitting here, are, are guilty of this. You get sucked into whatever the thing, or you know, what you go down a rabbit hole, or you just you figure out you just spent six hours watching YouTube videos on whatever fucking volcanoes or whatever. You know what I mean? And so it's like everybody is is guilty of this, and there's no there's no shame in that at yeah. all. It's just like recognizing like what that is and trying mm -hmm. to make uh, trying to uh, exercise uh, or you know, make decisions are that are based on what you actually want and not what you're influenced or mm -hmm. what somebody trying to get your attention is, you know, sort of making you do. Um, and mm, I don't know how far I want to get into that, but it, in yeah. doing that, that has consequences down the road that you cannot necessarily see right away and some might call this like a magical working and in some sense it is but it, trying to will exercise your will and manifest it on reality will have positive consequences eventually now you could make a mystical reasoning for that but you could also just make a very material like the more you uh you know think and focus on things that you want to see and and work towards those things and obviously eventually you're going to make progress towards those things um if you want to take a mystical route well your your brain is literally manifesting um your will upon higher planes of existence which is manifesting onto our current material reality and either way it's the same fucking difference you know uh to some degree is like um, just being very conscious of where you're putting your attention and mm -hmm. what what you are working towards and is it actually serving you and that to bring it back to sort of sterner are these things actually serving you um, yeah. is this what you actually want or is this just kind of what you've been told that you want or is this uh is this just hitting some lower dopamine receptors in your brain and, and it's kind of tricking you into thinking it's what you want when really it's just sort of like short-term chemical <laughs> chemical surges in your brain, right? Yeah. So uh, you're, you're right. This is, I, I get what you're saying. This is like a whole, it's impossible to put this into like a short conversation to try to explain these, this whole, this concept, but without yeah. sounding like a rambling 
idiot, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like, I'd love to talk about like sigils, like these are, you know, that'd be a fantastic part to add on to this conversation. Um, but it's a lot to get into. Um, I mean, I guess if I was going to briefly talk about this, just to, just to add some color to wait, what exactly does this mystical war look like? Um, so sigil is really just a symbol. Okay. Um, and now to understand what I'm talking about with your attention. So your thought, now you can measure, we can measure a thought. We know thoughts, like it, it's a thing. It's, it's energy. Like, like thoughts are measurable. All right. And they are going out. Um, your thoughts are really just you impressing upon what I call the formless substance of the universe. What is that formless substance? Huge subject. We're not going to get into that here, but anyway, so your thoughts that you impress, it's a conscious um, being. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah, exactly. The the formless substance is, is kind of the, <laughs> the blood flow of the superorganism that is the universe, which we've talked about that before in previous intervals. Okay. <laughs> There you go. How about that? Um, so, uh, okay. So anyway, so your thoughts, you impress. Now, a sigil is created by you writing out, I don't know, like an X with a line through it or something along the, whatever that happens to be. Okay. Whatever this, whatever the symbol looks like that you created, this is your sigil. Now you're going to impress your thoughts and the thoughts you're impressing upon that sigil while you're concentrating on it are say your goals. Your goals could be, uh, I don't know. Um, I want a new car or something. Okay. Whatever. I want to sell 10,000 cars. How about that? Um, Cause I think used car salesmen are really great at this, <laughs> but um, anyway, so this sigil, like you're, you're going to concentrate on that and you're going to, or, and, and it could be even more than a symbol. It could be like a ritual that gets done. Um, now here's the thing. So you're impressing that upon the superorganism that is the universe. Nobody needs to know, nobody else besides you, in fact, the argument would go by a lot of, you know, mystics in the past that, that you don't want other people to know what your sigil is. Why? Because it, 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 it disempowers that sigil. Okay. Um, nobody has to know what it means, but if you put it out in front of people, say during the Super Bowl or during the video music awards or the Grammys or whatever, and you put out that ritual or you put out that symbol or whatever, and you put that out there. And you get so many people watching because, oh, we all got to watch Super Bowl or we all got to watch this or whatever. And they all concentrate on that. It doesn't matter if they don't know what the fuck it means. Okay. The point is their attention is upon it. And that measurable thing that is thoughts of human beings is getting impressed upon that and giving it more power. Um, and thus a greater chance for it to become true. And the person ends up selling 10,000 more cars, whatever the case may be. Now, I know all of that sounds nuts. Okay. Or it might sound nuts to a lot of people. But there is a method behind all of that that makes an odd amount of sense that we can't get into entirely in this episode whatsoever. But for some color, again, of what this mystical war looks like, that's part of what it looks like and speaks to the importance of having control of your own, uh, of your attention, of where your attention, what you focus on. And it also explains why, I mean, there's the phrase, the attention wars, okay? Like this is a common phrase today. Why are people talking about that? Because they recognize, maybe not mystically, but they recognize that this is something validly going on and it is antithetical to your own growth as an individual. What do you got, Sick? Just to kind of like put this in, give you like a real simple example. Mm -hmm. Do you remember back in school when you, when you messed around and I got in trouble a lot and 
remember they'd have you write a certain phrase over and over and over again, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I will not, I don't know, make fun of the teacher over yep. and over and over and over again. In some way, that's the same thing, like a microcosm of what we're talking about. Like the intent, mm-hmm. the intent of that teacher was to have you engage in a form of like self self hypnosis, right? Sure. So now imagine if you could somehow get like a million people to do the same thing at the same time, like uh, engage in this, write the same thing over and over again at the same time. You're engaging in a form of like mass hypnosis. Yes. Right. Yep. It it chain literally chain will change the way your brain is. Uh, your brain waves are moving if you do that sort of thing. So if mm-hmm. you can do that to a million people all at once, you can. Mm-hmm, you can change the way people are thinking. Now, the that's not necessarily the reason they're going for, although it's similar. They want that attention because they want it to affect their own sort of self-hypnosis their, or their own ritual. Yeah, um, their own aims. It, yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily about what you're doing uh, or mm-hmm. the people watching are doing. You know, it's not necessarily about that. It's more about they just need eyeballs and yep. more energy and brain waves looking at the same thing because they think it, it, it helps them some way. But there's uh, there's there's actually very um, very little difference in kind between your teacher having you write that thing a thousand times and uh, some other form. And in some sense, that's sigil magic. Um, It's just a difference in degree when we're talking about like sort of higher forms of sigil magic. It's affecting people's brain energy in a way that uh, uh, is either beneficial or harmful or whatever the, whatever they're going, whatever the intent is there. So if it sounds crazy, we do these sorts of things all the time in various ways. Yes. Um, And so do lots of other people. And honestly, advertising is a form of uh, um, form of magic in some, in some ways. So it's, it, these things are, 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 are very quote real in a in a material sense like they they have measurable effects i think and i i obviously agree with you a great deal here in in the sense that i think a lot of what we're witnessing around us is there's a it's more mystical than material um especially when you start dealing into the circles of of power and and whatnot um so I, I i don't disagree and um i i just um you know, the question's always why and i guess there's thousands of reasons for that and for me i have a different sort of view of what magic is than maybe these people that need lots of eyeballs mm-hmm. uh, any magic i've ever engaged in was always something you did sort of by yourself in sort of a like internal workings or yeah um you know in a quiet place it was more of a, a intimate and individual thing i didn't want thousands of, of eyeballs on whatever i was doing i ha- i don't really want the i i just it, it's i can't even comprehend the the wanting um what is that having that sort of uh, narcissism to want millions yeah. of people to be really involved in whatever you're doing. That's just not my jam. Um, but uh, I, I think there is some truth to what you say. 
And just okay, so this kind of would segue into another uh, topic I wanted to 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 go into, but the kind of couples with what we're talking about here is like okay, so maybe it doesn't, but it seems to fit your your eyes and brain don't actually see reality. Your eyes and brain observe what data they can and your brain creates creates a what could be called like a hologram of the a reasonable interpretation or model of what it thinks the eyeballs are seeing right so there by definition there is way more to reality uh than what you the model that you're your brain's creating a map. Like what you're, what I'm seeing with my eyes and ears right now is a, a, a facsimile of what actually exists in reality. Fuck, I forgot where I was going with this. How does this relate to what I, we were just talking about? Well, I do agree that there's a lot more going on than we can see with our eyes, or at least with our two eyes, with our, you know, retinas, certainly. Oh, so if, okay, so if, all right. So here's kind of where I was going with that. So if that's the case and our brain's creating like a model of reality around us that we can comprehend, that would seem to also that number one implies that there's more to reality than what, what we can see here in touch for one. But for two, that would also seem that reality is somewhat malleable. In the sense that if you can change the uh, input, if you can change the brain, you can change the interpretation of reality, right? Um, so if somebody wanted to change the way you interpret reality, that would grant that person a great deal of power over you, correct? I don't know. How does this? See, I just lost it. I lost well, it. Peng- again. Penguin, what do you what do you got, man? You got to be. I mean, you've been so quiet, and I'm thinking like. He's just like, I just fucking lost it. I don't know where I was going at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's 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 good. I'm I'm just trying to take it all in. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have any much say on on, on the mysticism thing. I'm just kind of, I really don't have any background in it, so I'm just kind of right. trying to take it take take in where you went from the previous topics into this. Yeah, it, it's it's a wild ride. But you guys said about an hour and a half ago we got to get weirder. So <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think that the the idea of the universe as a hologram is something we should probably do another into the void on. Like, I think sure. it'd be a big subject to open up with. Yeah, uh, because there's a lot of roads to take on that. So, hologram um, doesn't even imply that there is a third party like projecting that or or right. uh, like a doesn't simulation. Have to be lizards from the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah, like exactly. aliens are presenting a simulation it could very well be that like reality itself presents itself uh, to us in a certain way that our human brain can comprehend. And it's not right. necessarily what that, what reality or the universe actually looks like. It's just prevent like a, it's just a projection in a way that our brains can interpret is kind of how I, uh, how I've been thinking about hologram theory lately, but, um, right. but there's actually like legitimate truth, like to that in the sense that like, our brain literally does that to what we see around us. Like that's how scientists would describe what is going on from your eyes to your brain. Your brain is creating like a model 
of uh, which is the nearest approximation of what it, your senses are seeing. So it's like drawing maps. You know, it's a, it's the same idea of like uh, your brain will fill in gaps in your memory. You know what I mean? It's yeah. the same kind of idea. Well, and I mean, it's important to note that like your like this can also kind of happen in reverse, which proves what you're kind of, I think, proves what you're saying, even though I think we've got to explore more. But, you know, the classic, um, well, the, the what is it uh, from? Is that Aldous Huxley with two plus two equals five? Um or yeah, the world. Yeah. yeah, right. Or even, you know, like with Star Trek, there's the classic episode with Picard where he's being, you know, uh, interrogated and uh, tortured by Cardassians. And he's, you know, being ordered to, you know, say, you know, he, like there's three lights behind this Cardassian and the Cardassians like, no, there are four. And, you know, so they're whatever the amount being anyway, at the end, Picard is like, he says, the problem is, is that just before I was rescued, I actually thought that there or was it five lights, right? Not four. Anyway, I actually thought that there were five lights. Like you can, you can get into that where you actually think you see these things, you know? Um, and, that, and that's a very, I mean, all of that was based on very real torture tech uh, tactics and techniques. So yeah, you know, like your eyes are interpreting reality, you know, more so than necessarily seeing them. And that is, that actually can be kind of a weird two-way street, but what do you got, Zach? Oh, no, I was, I was just kind of listening to what you're saying. In some sense, that is, uh, mm -hmm. so then the question becomes, right, <clears throat> did, uh, was it Picard or uh, um, Kirk you were talking about? Oh, it was Picard. Picard. Um, so, like, the question then becomes is like eventually they said it so many times like again that's a torture technique but that's he, he's doing ritual magic there as well yes uh like as you say it so many times that kirk i'm sorry picard eventually starts to believe it and sees it with his mind manifest that so then the question becomes right like is your brain just seeing that or did he just manifest that actually into reality Right. And what's the difference? <laughs> how, how would you begin to know what the difference is? Right. If everyone right. there with all of their hearts believes that that there is five lights there instead of four, like, how would you know otherwise? And I guess this goes into, you know, objective reality, but uh, how would you actually how know, know otherwise? How do I know that I'm not dreaming right now? Okay, so here we go. How do you know yeah, whether the, the world didn't start podcast. last Tuesday? How about yeah. I don't even have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just came into existence right now. Right now? Now. Yeah. Penguin just went full Descartes. He was just like, no, that's it. It's a demon. He's tricking me. The whole thing. <laughs> right, right. But, I, I mean, okay, so it it's an interesting thought experiment, but I also think there's some there there in the sense that, like, I think that if you direct your will enough, you can legitimately change reality itself, uh, like in the in the material in the spiritual plane, but also in the material plane, because I think these things are connected. So, again, I fucking lost. Sorry, this is like five That's, hours of me podcasting today. But yeah. <laughs> the, the, the right, the, I mean, I think if you think hard enough and say it enough times, you could make it make five lights actually happen. And so I think that uh, I think that's a large part of what we're actually seeing today in society. 
believe it or not. They, they want to convince you there's five lights and not four. Yeah, I mean, there's, well, you're clearly, like, here, here's the funny thing. You know, we can, and, and we all kind of know this, again, Second Eye keeps saying that this can be ex explained scientifically or rationally as well without the extra component, you know, but then I always feel that the rationalism doesn't always explain, but then why? Like rationalism usually doesn't explain why. And in some ways, I think that's the most important part of it because why leads to want and want is what leads to these changes like Zach is talking about, like actually creating the fifth light. Um, but, you know, all three of us can go on Twitter, okay, not just because of the algorithm necessarily, but we could look at the same exact tweet or the same exact series of tweets, and we could walk away with radically different worldviews on what we read. Now, it's not just a different way that we're necessarily interpreting it. It's really the different way that like this, I mean, there is our own interpretation, of course, but I think ultimately what I'm trying to say is that you can go online and you can, whatever version of reality you want to believe exists, you can find. If you want to think that America is the greatest country in the world, I bet you could find that. Uh, if you want, if you want to think that, oh no, this is a shithole, you can find that. Um, like, and it's not just interpretation. There are literally other groups out there espousing these ideas. If you want to think that the entire world's falling apart right now and the economy is shit. Holy shit. Brian, algorithms are a magical working. Listen to me. Listen. Okay. Holy Roll. fuck. <laughs> My brain just fucking broke. So what you said just said is, okay, so what you're what you're describing is entirely based on intent mm -hmm. by going out and searching what you want in the al to what reality you want to see in the algorithm, you're exercising your will on this material plane through the al algorithm. Because it okay, so what you want to see on the internet is entirely based on your intent. What else is a magical working if not exercising your intent and well, changing yeah. reality? Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Like magic is literally just impressing your intention upon the universe. Yeah. Right. So what 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 else would you call? Okay, so if I go to the internet with the intent that fucking World War III is around the corner and everything, Putin's a fucking going to take over the world and all these sorts of things, that's what I will find on the internet. So, and the algorithm will help me expedite that process, right? Or uh, exacerbate that process, we'll say. But if I want to, if I have the intent that I want, the world is a beautiful place and there's flowers and puppies fucking everywhere. If I go onto the internet with that intent, that is the reality I will manifest on the internet. And the algorithm will again exacerbate whatever that problem is. But it really comes down to you exercising your intent. So the algorithm is, is in some sense a fucking magical working because it is an exacerbation. It's a amplifier of your will to uh, create rea reality on the internet. What do you got, Penguin? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know how I got unmuted again. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it is. So I don't know if it's form of magic or not. But um, yeah, I mean that's exactly what the algorithm is is doing. Essentially, essentially you're simulating. You're gonna lock thing. me up. And maybe it's kind of scary. Maybe it's kind of scary that you were able to create something like that. For sure. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's crazy that you're able to create something like that where, you know, it's not like that there's just a social dynamic, but that you are able to. I mean, I see that all the time. I, that's that's basically my experience on social media. As I've said many times, my social media pretty much is is, is limited to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like these big social media platforms. And yeah, I mean, you can see that, but you can see that you can turn on a certain radio station or another radio station or certain podcast or another podcast or something or other forms of media that I, YouTube videos or whatever. And you could just see people that are able to able to, so you can see people that are able basically living in a certain reality and a certain interpretation of reality, but it's like, where does that come from? And I don't know. I don't what you call it manifesting or whatever, but obviously it, it comes from somewhere where they, does you know they people make choices in, into kind of the, the ecosystem that they they get into so that comes from somewhere inside so i can see that like it, it, you could call it manifesting you could have people that are like you know they look at a diverse number of sources i mean um by a lot or just they a little or they they do it just enough to do uh, you know basic modicum of a fact checking or like triangulation, I guess, between like different people and everything. But I mean, if, if you want to, you can, so if you want, if you certainly, if you wanted to, you could manifest basically just a certain interpretation of reality that you're already for some reason predisposed to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you get to, it's really choose your life is very much choose your own adventure as in like, you got a narrative that you can pick that someone else already wrote and you can choose whichever yeah, but one you want. You could have um, always kind of done that. But yeah. it would have taken like some effort to do that. It would take some mental effort. It would take some real, almost like mental plasticity to do that. And I right. guess now you can just kind of do it by choosing to click on what you click on. So that's one aspect of it. You could like purposely do that, purposely on mm-hmm. some level with some agency, purposely choose to do that. But I guess you could do that with like unintentionally without even being aware that you're doing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or or just put in the right hashtag and, you know, there's your, your shake and bake reality. Um, I mean, you almost like, you, you know, you don't have to purposely completely choose, like curate all these different things mm-hmm. and compare notes and fact check and double fact check the fact checkers. And I mean, you know, there's ways to actually do this pretty smoothly and like naturally, but yeah. Um, especially if you just, I mean, it's just it's, a lot of it's just a function of like intellectual curiosity, uh, honestly, to be honest with you, but like at, at the same time, it's so easy. Maybe it's so easy if you have intellectual curiosity or if you're just like a very, you know, biased person or think about this. Have you come to the Internet at an older age where a lot of your opinions have like cemented? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I'm 36, turned 36 recently, and I haven't my opinions certainly haven't cemented entirely. I know like I can see back to way before I understood anything I understand now and the data because that was around age 30 that i really started to shift to 29 30 yep. um got into libertarianism actually this would be a great discussion to, to the thank you open podcast about about your generation your your little sub generation and movement with the libertarianism and coming around out of the ron paul revolution and all that stuff and that, that whole ecosystem of libertarians that came out of there that i found but i found later after that time so i wasn't part of it when it formed i actually found it at the very like tail end of most of that, even though, you know, we can certainly reference people that are still podcasting and re- airing on radio and whatever, just like we talked about Ernie, Ernie Hancock and various other guys. And, and you, I guess, would be an example of that. Um, 
Uh, that was a huge. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so like, I I, I just have to where I was going with that. Uh, no, that's all right. Yeah, I I think that would be interesting to to kind of go you know, like go over that like the, the history of, of libertarianism on the internet. Uh, yeah, put that on the list that you that you mentioned that because that was yeah. there is something to be said about that specific movement of libertarianism that uh, I mean, sec you know. Sec, you have been a lifelong anarchist, so we can't really. I mean, I know you, you, you certainly witnessed this. You were certainly around for this, but like at the same time, like I, I think just to bring it back to the like the second thing I think we talked about, because I just really went off track on the on the whole reality. Thing. Totally, <laughs> totally get the second one is manifesting his will upon reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I, I know exactly. The movement you're talking about but it's mm -hmm. interesting it's interesting the way i found it um i think we should grab this up so let's just close this out with yeah. this idea like it's it's interesting that i found that kind of movement that grew out of the uh ron paul yeah well, this is things going a long, long. <laughs> we're over <laughs> two hours um thanks yep. for um, i'm just been in a great and very varied podcast so thanks for, for staying with us guys um but i came to this movement and uh kind of back backwards understood like yeah you know why this isn't the most exciting and dynamic and often kind of cringy aspects of this because it's a movement on the decline like a lot of people have already splintered off and left but most yeah have splintered off and left yeah. and i'll never actually experience the, the kind of people like i know people that are like jaded disenchanted activists but they were there in like Keene, New Hampshire. Yep. In that heyday of the time, you know, in in that heyday, and then then they're gone, and they're still uh, uh, the person they were, but they're not, you know, they're at least they're in touch. There's people that are just completely out of whatever activism or, you know, um, political. I guess it's all activism. Act activism on the ground or online or spreading the word, propaganda, whatnot. You know, in in, in the in the neutral sense. Um, Facebook discussions, uh, Twitter was around and so early, yeah. early t tweeting. Um, no, it wasn't, I don't well, think it was big at the time, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting that the movement that you come out of that for where I first heard about you, uh, you Brian, and um, quite a long time ago. So let's just triangulate to that. Um, I came basically, I uh, basically how second I met is that uh, when uh, Free Talk Live started um, their Discord, I was listening to them on AM radio and I'd heard about I'd he I had heard them once a week since like 2011, but I never listened, listened. But I became like kind of a fan at the very in fall, I think it was fall, maybe summer, maybe even earlier than that, um, 2016. So, you know. Oh yeah, I was I was listening to a lot of stuff. Donald Trump election. I, we need to we need to have a student whole show, but let's just, just talk about it real quick to kind of kind of um, tease that. Like, I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Donald Trump election. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of a lot of listen to a lot of weird stuff on AM radio. Mm -hmm. A lot of kind of weird stuff at the time. But one cool thing was you know the, you know Free Talk Live. Um, people we referenced on the uh, uh, first episode of this podcast because uh, they had, you know, Ian Freeman and uh, mm -hmm. had just gotten arrested for that time. So that was a, that was a kind of a weird um, coincidence with our, the beginning of the podcast, but I you know the, the Liberty radio network, everything like that was, um, that's how I got into podcast 
for real. That's how I got into the, uh, I first heard about the ideas of libertarianism. And from there, they launched a, a Discord channel and um, in like December of 2016, I believe. And that's how I found about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all that stuff that I guess it's whatever now. <laughs> um, but I from there, I found about the Discord program and then went from libertarianism to this libertarianism to this anarchism to, you know, kind of to the point where I would listen to different podcasts and more podcasts. And then I said, why don't I start one of these of my own as stereotypical as that is, as, as you kind of alluded to earlier, the lip, the infinite branchings off of libertarian podcasts. Um, but I found that really interesting of that world and how that world kind of existed, but I caught the very tail end or even just the remnants of that thing of that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, and once I realized that I was like, Oh, I'm just kind of hearing old, war stories rehashed and people that are kind of still at it but going on and so i totally understand why you realize that that age is over and you've been in a transitional period and now there's a new age to go into and i, I totally see okay something that would be so out of place just so and so years ago but less than a decade ago during a certain time is now not only uh, you know, a good, a fit for you and something you're interested in something you're able to kind of transition to and kind of move some attention that would have been devoted to like uh, the ideas that were just being, you know, debated in the back and forth really mm -hmm. intensely at the time. And then kind of take that attention because people, you know, they kind of burned out of that. And that kind of thing isn't the, you know what I mean? Isn't, isn't what's, hot yeah. and new right now you can only talk about the same thing again and again the nap and everything for so long um well, so it's really interesting and i've always i've always kind of once i realized that i was calling the back end of that stuff and once i realized that a lot of the, the very 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 first genesis of like me getting into the ideas of liberty and just actually advanced political ideas in general because everything kind of changed after i found out about that and discord and then twitter and everything mm -hmm. and podcasts and whatnot but like i realized that okay, I'm not on, I'm not affiliated with that era, sub generation, sub, you know, on, on the micro level, level era. I'm the beginning because I'm just a few years younger than most of that crowd of people. They're elder yeah. millennials. They're around 40 years old, give or take. It's yep. all the same people. There was a real age cohort because it was the wrong, it was the certain people were a certain age at a certain time. Um, But I'm, I'm part of, and, you know, sec, and then and you're continuing, and you're obviously shifting your focus, and we're starting this podcast as the beginning of kind of a new era. As as, as kind of goofy as that no, verbiage no, no. is, you know what I mean? We're 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 part of a new thing, and we we we're noticeably and tangibly different from from that past era. Well, you're totally on penguin, and and this is kind of what I want to wrap up with. Um, and this actually, I, I didn't get out earlier, uh, like the third reason of why, like, why are people, why are, cause second asked originally, why are so many people suddenly like being willing to talk about this? Now I'm not saying this is true of me. I'm not saying this is true of sec. Uh, and I'm not saying this is true of like Shane or, you know, not necessarily anybody. I mean, there's some people I think who it's true of, but not anybody we've mentioned here yet anyway. But I think a big part of it is like, yeah, like this is, the the message of liberty as was, as was understood by the the old guard as it were that you were talking about penguin um it got stale right nothing changed and it got stale and so people are shifting towards you know like like they're they're i mean i've even seen like people who are hardcore capitalists turn into hardcore communists 
you know, like even in the past year or two like that. And that's weird, you know, <laughs> like that, that's a hell of a shift to go through. Um, and so, you, yeah, you really brought it full circle. Cause I think the other part is, is that people are just bored. And so they wanted to find the next intellectual pursuit to go for. Now for me, it's, you know, always been a part of me. So it's not like, it's not out of boredom whatsoever. Now it's a matter of, I would almost argue, you know, self-defense. Um, but I will say this, and I think we, I want to get into in the next into the void. I definitely want to talk about the holographic, uh, concepts of the universe, sex algorithm there. We got to We got a deep dive on that. I know he's. <laughs> it just popped into my head. I need a little time to chew on that one. For yeah, a yeah, no, no. That, and that's, that's what I want, you know, to come at with, with next. And then, you know, I do want to have this conversation. I think it'd be great penguin. Like you said about like that kind of that old guard libertarianism and like these different phases and everything. But I just want to end off with this is that the phase of libertarianism that I was a part of, I'm glad it's dead. I'm glad it's gone because if it wasn't, I don't think podcasts like this could get the same purchase that they have now. Uh, I don't think they would be received with the same welcomeness and uh, not the legitimacy matters, but the same legitimacy and it wouldn't have the same audience. And I'm so glad for the audience that's here uh, to be able to hear it and be willing to just go way out there with stuff, um, you know, and, and really consider it and contemplating it and have new ideas come up right in the middle of the episode, like what happened with sec. So again, I'm glad ultimately that that, that that phase is over. Um, Maybe it had its place for a while, but it's gone now and just as well. And, you know, cheers to the new era. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, dude, I, right. I appreciate you going so long with us, man. Yeah, no, um, my pleasure. Just really super quick. I was an anarchist before I had, I was on the internet really. Right on. So it, that I had a completely different view of anarchism altogether because i wasn't in chat rooms or anything like that i, I hated computers mm. i was never into it so i didn't get like i understand that there was there was different people anarchists like disagreed but i didn't think it was like unfriendly like sectarianism and shit flinging like exist on the internet and then i got on the internet and i don't know 2012 or 13 or something yep uh like for real and it it was like a shit show sector yep. it was like catholic versus protestants kind of did and i'm like what we're all fucking anarchists what are you talking what is all this you know and it was just a really a huge culture shock for somebody who had like my entire anarchist upbringing had been in books do you know what i mean yeah. it was like i yeah. had a completely different idea of what anarchism was yeah um than the people that uh, were <laughs> had like were terminally online or whatever so, you so know? we've yeah. really got three different generations here i think of anarchism yeah. and and i i we got to do an episode covering that and the differences i'm fascinated know. with micro yeah. micro histories or yeah. i guess you could call it that's the word i'm going to coin for this i'm fascinated for like yeah i'm fascinated for like the you know 10 year spans of like you know you know the 10 year basically the 10 year spans of like the nuances of and especially the past two decades the preceding two decades because there's so much i wasn't there for but it's so it's like there are things that still play out very, very tangibly now that actually is mm -hmm. affecting things because it's like the same people that are alive. You know what I mean? Versus talking about even at this point, early 90s, like Rothbard. I I want that. His, I want to read that history. And it's still like reason enough that the history is body ish, although you can just look at first first person sources. But, you know, that the 80s, the 70s. 
seventies, what was Carl Hess doing? We know that because he wrote it uh, biography, but I mean, well, the movement in general, I guess is, I should say, yeah. because we probably can know people's actual biographies. Um, but yeah, I, I love to know in what the greater context is. And the greater context doesn't come from, from anything except, you know, kind of reading the books. If people were telling their thoughts and just kind of knowing the history and just consuming yeah. the media of the time, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe I'll even see if I can get my wife on that, on that episode because she's in her twenties, you know, but she's been a part of all this wow. stuff just as much, you know, she's been in like, in, yeah. No. Yeah. In New Hampshire, almost as long as I have. Um, so, I mean, you know, it'd be nice to have all those different generations kind of talking about that. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, so we got to let you go. Yeah, so. yeah. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, but everybody. The title, uh, the episode, t- title it micro histories. I love that. That's sweet. Micro histories. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone, welcome to the age of Aquarius and, and celebrate <laughs> the celebrate the death of the age of Horus um and be excellent to each other and and sovereign thank you again it, your your perspective is always valued here and uh, i really appreciate you spending so much fucking time with us and getting crazy and do you want to plug some things uh i think most people know where to find me but uh just head over to sovereigntech.com get your hookup lots of fun stuff lots of things going on all kinds of different conversations and you even get some of this wacky shit so go for it <laughs> and sign up for his newsletter it's dope as fuck yeah sovereign.substack.com you're in for a good time there all right thanks brother it's always a blast um same guys on here next time man awesome yeah it was awesome all right peace everybody peace Peace. excellent to each other ciao